this episode, Justice League International number 16, cover dated August 1988. Hello. Welcome to the 16th episode of Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host. But guess what? I brought along a friend. In fact, each episode I invite a different guest host to help me tackle an issue of JLI. My co-host today has been a buddy of mine for a long time. We met while working together at a comic book shop during the boom and the bust of the 1990s. Nowadays, he lives in L.A. and has been like sort of a jack-of-all-trades in the film industry for the past 20 years. And in addition to all those cool things, this jerk has had the audacity to look just like Clark Kent and even studied journalism in college. This guy is just one shirt rip away from going up, up, and away himself. Folks, please help me welcome to the show Mr. Mike Harlow. Welcome to the Embassy, Mike. Thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I love this place. You like it? Yeah, the yeah. curtains are great. Just had it redecorated. It's, it's looking a little better. I dig it. We, we had to do the international flavor, you know, a couple months back when, you know, we went from just being Justice League to Justice League International, so we got lots of flags and things up there. Right. Representing, representing. It looks like a United Nations to me, but, but clearly still a JLI embassy. There you go. Lots of Oreos laying around everywhere for people. Mm-hmm. And beef eater vodka. <laughs> Interestingly enough, you and I touched base. It had been a long time. We sort of lost touch, probably on purpose on my part, but whatever, and <laughs> reached out to you and said, hey, man, I'm developing this JLI show. And this is, what, two two plus years ago. And said, yeah, do you want to be on it? And you're like, sure, yeah, that'd be great. So two years go by. We haven't seen each other in 20 years. And I'm thinking that'll be the first time I talk to Mike is when we do this show. But since then, we've actually gone on and had breakfast twice now because I've gone out to L.A. a couple times. It's been great. It's been mm-hmm. wonderful reconnecting with you, sir. Yeah, man. You too. Great times. And, and yeah, I've spent two years now just getting more and more nervous about this. So thanks for that. Hey, no problem. We're only two hours <laughs> behind the time we were supposed to start recording because apparently Mike doesn't know how to plug in his, ironically, his mic. Well done, sir. Right. Well, you know, I've had girlfriends accuse me of that, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't believe you and I shelling comic books, right? You know, slapping Superman in people's faces. You and I taking road trips to Atlanta to meet uh, Grant Morrison. Yep. Jill Thompson, yep. Steve Yeowell. You offered me $5 for my copy of Superman 75 on the day it came out because <laughs> I was one of the few people who walked into that store two months beforehand with a previews copy and said, I need two of these, please. <laughs> did you take me up on the offer? No, I did not. That's how crazy Five it was, folks. $5? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> we would sell the comic to people. How much was it? Like I don't remember. Was it two fifty or whatever it was in the bag? Something like it was that. Two fifty in the bag. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we would sell it to the customer for two fifty, and on the same day, we, I'd immediately say, "I will now buy it back from you for five dollars," because I knew the next day I could sell it for twenty five. You know, that's how yep. crazy the death of Superman was. It was nuts. And the day I showed up, lines around the building. I know crazy just waiting to get in that store and i was like and i knew what everyone was there for oh yeah oh yeah and i was like i'm glad everyone finally caught on to how (laughs) awesome the superman books were at that point 
you know, you for a long time were the most dedicated Superman fan I ever met. Now I do know one more dedicated now. I'm sorry to say, uh, it, oh. would, it would be very interesting to see you and Michael Bailey, one of the guests on a previous episode of this show. It'd be very interesting to see you and Michael Bailey go head to head in your Superman love. I mean, you've got him edged out a bit in just the fact that you freaking look like Clark Kent and you haven't aged in 20 years, you bastard. But other than that, that's all surgery, man. <laughs> It's true. You're in L.A. It's all about it's all about the <laughs> exactly. looks, right? Yeah. Now, okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're this uh, jack of all trades in Hollywood, right? right. So yep. obviously, I, you know, I, I came out and got in the industry in a way you can't do it anymore. You slept um, with Steven Spielberg? No, you can still do that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's still that that door is always open. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly, allegedly. Right, I don't right, know. right. No, no. I came out and got in by interning after college. You can't do that anymore. You have to actually be in college now to become an intern because huh. there was a lawsuit when they made the Black Swan, the Natalie Portman, Neil oh, Kunis. I think we're all familiar with it, if nothing else, just for those couple scenes. But anyway, go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. But there was a lawsuit by the interns because they felt like they'd been taken advantage of. Which you're an intern in Hollywood, right? Of course, you were taken advantage of. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> right, but it's like going. It's like Yes, you trade getting taken advantage of for the experience yeah. because you can turn around and get other jobs with that. Huh. And they decided they would rather be paid. And so they sued and the studios were like, OK, we're going to pay interns from now on. But in order to do that, you have to be getting college credit. So the Wild West formula that like where I basically got done with college, worked for a couple of years, saved money and moved out here. You can't do that anymore. You already have to be in college and coming out here. So you're basically just bragging that none of us can follow in your footsteps is what you're saying. No, I'm not. I'm actually lamenting that because I love the fact that people could just show up here and just get in the industry. And you could still do it, but it's just a little bit harder now. Huh. But yeah, no, I, I, I got in interning at two companies at the same time. One of them was Quentin Tarantino's A Band Apart, Ooh. which I only did for three weeks because okay. all that, what they really wanted, they hired me as an intern. What they really wanted was a receptionist. I say they wanted you to bring him coffee so he could yell at you about how crappy the coffee was? No, I actually only ever saw him once because at the time he was shooting Jackie Brown. Oh, wow. Okay. So I talked to him on the phone a couple of times, but basically they just needed me to sit there and answer the phone all day, which was fine. I didn't mind doing it, but I was like, I can answer a phone anywhere. And then the other company I was working for, they needed interns in the story department. And so I was actually working with the screenplays. And so I took that job. That's and then worked awesome. way up into a producer's assistant position. Okay. You got to so. use your uh, journalism and uh, English degree there. Exactly. Exactly. And you speak so. English, so it seems like you're doing something with that. So that's something. Right, right. I try. I try. So, so. a little birdie told me, or maybe it was a little Black Widow, I'm not sure, that you have a, a Kevin Feige story? Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's what I said. I worked for a producer, and one of the producer's friends was Kevin Feige. Whoa! And so when working for a producer, most of the times the producer I was working with would be on the set of whatever movie he was on. And my job, if I wasn't on the set with him, which usually I wasn't, was I would be in the office wrangling the rest of his life. <laughs> um, so people would be calling. I'd be taking those calls. I'd be setting meetings for him. I'd be, you know, uh, checking down scripts for him, stuff like that. You know, te Technically, I'm the producer of this show. Shouldn't I have someone doing this for me now? Because this sounds like a great gig. You don't have someone doing it for you now? I, I you need, need a, your own Elrond. I need an intern. I need an Elrond intern. You need intern. an Oberon. That's what I need. <laughs> we'll set up an application, folks. Anybody you need a Sue Dibney. Oh, got me right in the feels oh, there, buddy. Sue. Right in the feels. Okay, so anyway, so you're, you're working for this producer. I'm working for this producer. 
Kevin Feige's a buddy of his. Kevin gets promoted to like, you know, Avi Arad's number two guy at Marvel. Right. Okay? And so as you do in this town, if someone's doing good, you call and congratulate them because it's all about the relationships, which is no, is, you know, I'm no slight. I mean, you know, it's like everyone, if they get success, they deserve accolades. Okay. And so we called up Kevin and he proceeded. This is the year 2000. Keep in mind. Okay. So eight, everyone, so everyone eight, eight years before Iron Man. Eight years before Iron Man, because everyone sits there and looks at Marvel now and thinks, oh, so successful. Of course they were. And they don't remember they were just coming out of bankruptcy. Oh, yeah. In order to get out of bankruptcy, they had to lop off the rights to Spider-Man, yeah. lop off rights to the FF, lop off the rights to the X-Men. Punisher, all they had Daredevil. Left, yep, Punisher, Daredevil. <laughs> and so all they had left was Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and the Avengers. And those were not household names. Right, into- and, and their comics weren't even selling at that point either. Exactly. I mean, I love the Kurt Busiek run of the Avengers, but it wasn't setting the world on fire at that point. Right. I mean, it was, you know, it was trafficking heavily in some nostalgia, which I appreciated, but I don't think those stories were ever going to translate to a mass audience. It took Bendis to make that thing sell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then before that, it took Millar. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was actually reading The Ultimates again the other night, and I was like, you know what? They still pulled a lot of this for Marvel Phase 1. Ah, interesting. Okay. But anyway, so my boss calls Kevin to congratulate him. They're talking, you know, because my boss is talking from the set that he's on. I'm connecting them from my office. So my role as his assistant is to basically hit mute and stay on the line till the call's done and then drop that call and call the next person for him. Okay. So because of this, I have to sit and listen to all the calls. Ah, nice. And Kevin Feige proceeds to lay out in the year 2000 Marvel Phase 1. He had it all right there ready to go. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? That's insane. Like, <laughs> I mean, the order that the movies were going to come out in, how they were going to build to the Avengers, the reasonings for why the movies were coming out and what they were going to try and accomplish with each one, eight years before the first one shows up. That's amazing. Now, did he lay out the whole thing, how Ed Norton was going to be a total tool on the set and they would just jettison <laughs> him after the first movie? Uh, No. And oh. they didn't know they were going to have Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Oh. All he did say was, at the time, he was like, it all hinges on Tony Stark. He's like, and if you don't love Tony Stark, it's not going to work. But wow. he also said, because my boss didn't know who these characters were. Okay. Like people in Hollywood, a lot of them, then and still now, think of comics as intellectual property. That's it. They don't think about you know, who these characters. But Kevin said, he's like, okay, Tony Stark, he's Iron Man. He's James Bond in a suit of armor. Okay. And I'm sitting on the other end of the line going, yes, yes, that is exactly who he is. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, oh my god, this guy actually knows who Tony Stark is. This could work. Wow. Yeah. And my hats off to him. I at this point, I'm like, okay, there's Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, Kevin Feige. Yeah. That's Marvel. Yeah, you're not wrong there. I mean, I mean, as far as like the people that you can say, these are the shoulders of giants that everyone else stands upon. Oh yeah. No, that's that's a that's a. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. Feige should be up there with Stan mm-hmm. and Jack. You're right now. Yeah, if you're gonna put them on, if you're gonna do a Mount Rushmore, you got to put Kevin's face on it. Yeah, because I mean, you know, Jack and Stan built it, but Feige turned <laughs> it into a billion dollar industry. Right. You know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, everyone's now is like, oh, Disney, Disney, Disney. It's like, well, no, Paramount at first. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, if it wasn't for Kevin, Disney wouldn't have been buying. Man. All right. Well, 
That is absolutely fascinating and blows me away. But I'm getting a little message from my Elrond here that this is a DC oh. podcast. So yes, yes, sorry about that. I just yeah. That no, was... no, I I encouraged it. I wanted to hear it. Yeah, a fun comic theme story. Yeah, exactly. What, yeah. what better place than to talk about a comic theme story on this kind of podcast? Absolutely. Right. And my point is clearly Kevin Feige was a fan of the material already, and so you have a fan made good. So Warner Brothers, oh. just saying, give him a call. Maybe you know, right? Maybe get him over there right. with, the, with your stuff. <laughs> Ah, well... Although I like They're trying. Movie. That Wonder Woman movie was excellent. The Wonder Woman movie was excellent, and, and we don't need to get a big protracted discussion because we got some JLI to talk about here. But I will say, I enjoyed the Justice League movie. Yeah. I talked about it on an episode of Fire and Water Podcast. If you want to hear about it, go look for uh, Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, we did a whole episode dedicated to it. So that's my thoughts there. But I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, there was a lot to love about that that Justice League movie. Absolutely. All right. Well, before yeah. we get too much further, because we're already pretty far into this, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for $50 or more. So each episode, we're going to select something from the collector edition library to briefly discuss, and uh, usually it's going to be tied into this month's issue of JLI or, uh, in some way or shape or form. Now, the guest is not required to bring an InStock Trade selection, but all the cool guests do. So, Mike, where do you fall in this pile? I smuggled one in. Awesome. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm going to read my first because, you know, quite frankly, I don't trust you to get it right. So you can follow right. my example. All right. Okay. First off uh, is the Justice League of America, the Detroit era omnibus. Whoop, whoop. <sighs> so happy they finally published this thing. Jerry Conway, J.M.D. Mateus, Chuck Patton, and other folks, inking by Dick Giordano. Yes, this is the entire Justice League Detroit era, including the stuff that followed about later. So you get Justice League of America to 233 through 261. You get the annuals. You get the Infinity Inc. crossover. But then you get JLA Classified. 14 through 16 and 20 through, 22 through 25, which are Detroit stories sort of told retroactively, and Justice League of America Retroactive, which included the Detroit era. This thing is 1,064 pages. So you can take your JLI omnibus, and you can take your JLA Detroit omnibus, you smash them together, and you can kill a person. It'd be perfect. Uh, normal retail <laughs> price is $125. Crazy! Breaks, breaks the bank. But you can get it for 45% off right now in in-stock trade, so it only costs you $68.75. Sense. That ain't bad. So that ain't bad at all. Exactly. For all of that vibe, I mean, come on. That's it's it's without <sighs> I mean, a doubt fantastic. And the nice thing is that if it goes all the way to two sixty one, those last four issues, I think of at least the Legends run. Yep. Weren't those written by J.M. Absolutely written by J.M. Dimitrius. So yeah, in leads. So what you do? Okay, so get your JLI omnibus. I'm sorry, get your Justice League Detroit omnibus. Get your Legends trade paperback, and then start reading JLI, folks. I mean, come on. Right. So, Mike, what'd you bring to the table? I brought in the Invasion trade paperback. Ooh. Written by Keith Giffen. Yes. Bill Art by Todd McFarlane and Bart Sears, I think, in the third issue only, but still, 80 pages per issue, so that's nothing to sneeze at. Inking by Joe Rubenstein, massive three-issue miniseries from 1988, a universe-spanning saga, the deadly but emotionless Dominators have come to Earth to wipe out the threat posed by metahumans. But what is the real reason for the attack? Yes. 256 pages, uh, normally priced at $19.99, but through in-stock trades, you save 45%, and you get it for the low, low, low price of $10.99 out the door. That is a steal. Right? So, Mike... Why? Besides the fact that it's absolutely amazing, why did you pick Envision? Uh, well, let's see. I was thinking of that book because in this issue of JLI we'll be discussing, Manga Khan refers to the team as paranormals, okay. which is an accurate description. 
but also not all that accurate at the same time, because when we think of paranormals, we think of something else. Uh-huh. We think, so I have no way of proving this, but I get the feeling that Giffen must have started thinking about a better description for superheroes and supervillains. And just under a year later, he arrives at Metahumans, ah. which, unless I'm greatly mistaken, first started to gain hold of DC during the Invasion storyline. If, if it didn't first gain hold, it certainly, which I think it, I think you're right, it did. But if, if, if it wasn't, then it certainly was where it was popularized. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Within the first few pages, the Dominators are talking just, they're saying metahuman, metahuman, metahuman. And I just remember that running all the way through those three issues. And that whole, just the whole crossover in general. Yeah. Well, DC couldn't say mutants. And so, right? yeah, they had to come up with something. So metahumans yeah, were, like, yeah. What can we trademark? <laughs> What's well, very nice. So, by the way, folks, if you're a fan of the Invasion storyline, which you absolutely should be, I would assume you probably know by now we actually have a podcast on our network called First Strike Invasion, hosted by Siskoid and Boss. And uh, it's an awesome deep dive into the Invasion crossover going issue by issue of all the crossovers. They're uh, rapidly approaching issue number three, I believe, in their coverage. And it's been absolutely fantastic. It's an absolute joy listening to these guys celebrate these books. So definitely should check, check that, that out. out. Yep. And you can read uh, you can read your trade paperback along with it. Look at that. Right on. Well, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Oof. Okay, Mike. So I know how this is going to go. We we need to – I'm going to have to focus this because otherwise you and I are going to just swap stories all night long and talking about right. the old days and Hollywood and all this stuff. So I'm going to I'm going to be the, the slave driver here and keep us going. So, folks, if you want to be part of the conversation, if you want to talk about Mike's experiences in Hollywood or when he was the pool boy for George Lucas or any of those things, please go on the social media. Use the hashtag PoundFWPodcasts or you can tag us You know, on, on Twitter. It's JLI Podcast. On Facebook, it's Just League International Blah Ha Podcast. We want to hear from you because this is all about building a community of online JLI fans around the show, finding each other, becoming a, becoming a power, becoming a force. I mean, this the group of people that listen to the show is already enormous, and we want to keep growing and keep bringing more people in. It sounds like a movement. Uh, that's what we're going for. I'm, I'm, we're working on a flag. You see that spot up there in the corner where I don't have a flag? Ooh. We're working on building. Yeah. I might just nice. use the JLI logo. I mean, that would make the most sense, but, you know, whatever. Let's do that. Yeah, anyway. So, speaking of talking to people, speaking of bringing in fans, things along those lines, this is a chance for us to chat with you, Mike. It's oh. taking everything I can to sound excited about that, because really I'm going to get... I, you know all my stories. Well, that and just... So. <laughs> I like hearing my sound of my own voice, not other people's, so this is where it gets to be a problem. Anyway, but oh. we're going to talk to you for a minute, sir, and I want to know your personal origin story with the JLI. How did you discover the book, and what made you fall in love with it? Okay, it was junior high when I found the JLI. Okay. But really, we have to jump back to fourth grade. <laughs> okay. Because uh, <laughs> until that point, I'm dipping in and out of comics. I'm reading a little bit of everything, but I'm not like, you know, I, nothing's really grabbed my attention. But in fourth grade, my brother tells me, he's like, are you going to the bookstore? And I said, yes. He's like, see if there's a book called New Teen Titans, number 16. Ah. So, Grab that. He's like, there's a preview for a comic called Captain Carrot that I want to read. So I go to, I go to the bookstore. Not only did they have New Teen Titans number 16, they had Captain Carrot number one. I'm nine years old. I buy these books. I take them home. I don't give them to my brother. I read them. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. Funny Animal Superheroes was the perfect bridge for my age to take me from that to within a very short order going, who are these new Teen Titans? What is this about? Awesome. And so then, you know, the magic of Wolfman Perez 
leads me to sample a few more things. Suddenly I'm reading Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I know at the time, I, I, I learned about it more in, uh, you know, when I was going to conventions in the 90s, where I'd meet fans who were still angry about Crisis, yeah, like older uh, fans. Right. And I didn't understand because I was like, that was, they basically swung the door open for me as a reader yep. and said, come on in, join the party. Because Crisis leads very quickly to Legends. I'm buying all the Legends crossovers. That has me finally picking up JLI after just sampling it here and there. And although I love the Chuck Patton art of the issues I read, I didn't understand vibe. <laughs> but you the just four you issues... Just you just weren't cool enough, that's all. I, I, you know, it's true. I can't, I can't even argue with that. But the four issues of the Legend crossover, where they basically just take the team apart. Right, yeah. Uh, I was like... Oh my gosh, what are the, what, oh my, what, how do you come back from this? And so, of course, you know, the minute Justice League hit the newsstands, I grabbed it and I fell in love by the end of the first page. I mean, just that, that opening, just splash shot of just guy sitting in the darkness. And I was like, well, this is, this is something new. And Kevin McGuire's artwork and then Giffen and Dimitri's story just pulled me right in and never let me go. Wow, they're from issue one. That's impressive. Yep. That is very yep. impressive. We're talking sitting in class, back of the class, textbook in my hand, JLI actually in front of my eyes. <laughs> so you like wedged it right there in the textbook so the teacher couldn't see? Yep. Oh, that is yep. too freaking funny. That's awesome. <laughs> we, we actually have some similar backgrounds in that crisis brought me in really too. And that was my door. So I, I didn't understand. I didn't even know that there were old fans that were mad at Crisis for a long time. And now that I've been through the, the wars of the New 52, I get where they're coming from. You know, it's like, okay, I get it. I totally get why you were mad in 1985. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, I was going to say, but for me, the, the four issues where they tore apart the JLA was actually mm-hmm. the last JL Justice League I bought for a long time because I couldn't find number one. Uh, when it, when Justice League number one. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I missed it. And then I heard it was funny. I'm like, well, I don't want a funny book. And so I didn't come in till like much, much later. So I missed out in the beginnings of Justice League International and didn't come in till later. So crazy. What, what finally brought you in the door then? Well, I picked up the, the Legends crossovers just like you. I picked up the random issue here or there. But what happened was I fell in love with Roger Stern's Starman series, you know, the Will Payton mm. series. And mm-hmm. I was buying that, and he crossed over into Justice League International, or actually it was Justice League America by that point, number 42, all the way down to issue 42. And I remember that. Okay, yep, yeah. It was great. He's on the cover, and he's like saying, no mm-hmm. way, he won't join the team. And so I bought that one. I'm like, this is freaking hysterical. I loved it. And again, I and here's the weird thing. I had been buying Justice League Europe from issue number one on because I heard that one was going to be more serious, okay? So I bought every issue of Justice League Europe. So by that point, what, 42? I'm, I'm, I'm already in, what, 24 issues, whatever, I think, right? Or 20-some-odd right. issues. Something. Yeah. 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 Well, let's see. Well, uh, it's 42, 42 minus 24. It's, i got to take my shoes yeah. off to do this math. But Yeah, it's 16 so, issues. Anyway. Right. So I'm pretty far into Justice League Europe, and then I finally realized, I guess I should be reading Justice League America, and went back and got all the back issues and fell in love and realized what a fool I'd been, and then was there. Do you miss the incredible? The entire Maguire era, you miss the Ty Templeton stuff. You miss most of Adam Hughes. Well, I missed it the first time around, though. It's like talking to a, someone who loves MASH and only watched it in repeats. doesn't make their love of it any less. It just means... Right. No, 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 no. I just, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, I'm trying to imagine, because like, you must have had a very empty life. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my life was very full. I had my first term. I had my X-Men. I had my my uh, Starman. You know, I, I had a full life. Thank you very much. Okay. I was, reading, I was right. reading Batman, damn it. 
Well, at least somebody was. Oh, ouch. I, they they were not acknowledging that Batman was in the JLI in the Batman books. Ah. I, I would not buy those books. You know, it's funny. You know, it, it, What I completely forget is that when this book started, Batman was not only in the JLI, he was also in the Outsiders. And, like, right. this book never acknowledged his part in the Outsiders either. So, crazy. So, That's all right, since we're, since we're starting to talk about characters here, who are your favorite JLI characters? Now, see if you can narrow it uh, down to, like, one, two, three, somewhere in that range. What do you got? I can give you three. Okay, fair enough. It's Beetle, uh-huh. Booster, uh-huh. Mr. Miracle. That's a pretty good combo. Okay. It's the trifecta. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, look, look the guys created one of the most natural and organic friendships in comics when they teamed Blue Beetle with Booster Gold. Yeah. And I don't know, the fact that DC has never really seemed to capitalize on that for very long, like every now and then they'll be like, oh, here's a Booster Gold issue when they were doing Booster Gold a few years ago. And they were like, we're going to do some Blue Beetle stuff. Right. But they've never tried to capitalize on it in the long run. And that just has always had me scratching my head as I think there's like a great monthly book in there, a Power Man and Iron Fist for DC. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm like I'm like you guys because as much as I like Power Man and Iron Fist, the Beetle and Booster friendship has always felt more organic to me. They'll, they'll like give just, Giffen they'll give Giffen and Demetrius a Larfly series to write, but not right. but not the Blue and the Gold. Crazy. Yeah, I I yeah. And then the fact that okay, like I also love Mister Miracle, but I was a huge fan of the New God stuff. Like when I found that, I was like, oh, I didn't know this corner of the DC universe existed. This this is this is amazing. Like I bought all the Kirby stuff at conventions, but then when they, you know, they had Mister Miracle obviously in the JLI, and then they do his monthly series, and you've got that one crossover, or not crossover, but that one guest starring issue where Beetle and Booster show up. Yep. And I'm just like, this is perfect. Because <laughs> got the married guy who really comes alive when he gets a hang- chance to hang out with his bachelor buddies. And I don't know, it's just like a trifecta of friendship that any comic book fan, diehard or casual, can find relatable. But that's just how I feel about it. Hey, what I'm do not going to argue with you there. Because, I mean, honestly, you see that, especially in the earlier issues before Bo- uh, Booster even joined the team, you see it with Beetle and mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle because they're both the pilots. You know, right. they're the ones in charge of the ship, and there's a lot they're of Exactly. So, yeah. No, good choices. Excellent choices, actually. Well done. I'm Someone, someone probably helped you pick those out because it's a pretty good pairing. I'm, I'm impressed. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I had some help. There we so. go. Perfect. Well, uh, I'm glad Kevin Feige could stop by and give you some suggestions on characterization. So that's You awesome. weren't supposed to say his name. He's got, he's got contracts with Marvel, man. Come on. <laughs> that guy's got to eat. Well, all right, speaking of old comics, because we love talking about old comics, folks, we are going to take a sidestep into something I like to call Monitor Duty. These are other comics on the shelves the same month featuring JLI members. So, issue number 16 of JLI was on sale April 12th, 1988. My thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Other titles featuring the JLI in the month of April 1988 on the shelves. Alright, first up are comic books that featured multiple JLI members in the issue. So, we're going to start with Captain Adam number 17 by Carrie Bates, Greg Weissman, and Pat Broderick. In there, the JLI continue to guest star as Captain Adam faces off against former Justice Leaguer, Red Tornado and Swamp Thing. And for more on Captain Adam, please check out Jay Jones's coverage over on the Silver and Gold podcast and the Splitting Adams blog. And Jay is a past guest of this very show. Next up is the Who's Who Update 88. Number one, if you're a fan of Who's Who and you love classic Who's Who, Who's Who 1988 was a tremendous letdown. Anyway, uh, Who's Who 88 number one includes JLI members such as Dr. Fate, Nort, Green Flame, Guy Gardner. God, it sounds great. It's wrapped in a Thai Templeton cover. 
but I got all kinds of things to say about it. In fact, if you want to hear me dissect this thing page by page, I'm not kidding. Check out the Who's Who podcast featuring Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shine. Oh, that's me. Uh, where we finished up all the, the classic Who's Who's and we're getting ready to start the Loose Leaf next year. Then uh, current members of the JLI. So we start off with this whole big section for Batman. Batman number 422 by Jim Starlin and Mark D. Bright. Batman and Robin team up against a man accused of murdering more than 10 women. Sicko. Uh, then we get into Batman Annual number 12 by Mike Barron, Bob Greenberger, Ross Andrew, and Norm freaking Brayfogle. Batman plays a real-life murder mystery game. Well, Jason Todd has his own private lives adventure. Then in Detective number 588, we get John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Norm freaking Brayfogle. The awesome collection of those Detective Comics issues, which actually made me a Batman fan, by the way. Uh, Batman continues to battle the corrosive man. Now, if you want more information on Batman during this era, please check out over on our network, the Batman's Nightcast by Chris Franklin and Ryan Daly, both past guests of the show. Also, let's see, Green Arrow, this is, this is probably going to be the last time we mention Black Canary, folks. But uh, Green Arrow number 7 by Sharon Wright, Mike Grell, and Eduardo Barreto. Black Canary investigates a car theft ring. By this point, when I say last time we mentioned her, I mean in the monitority segment. Because by this point, she's firmly a Mike Grell character. And she is not our Dinah from the early Justice League issues anymore. So if you want more Dinah, please check out those Green Arrow issues. Again, this is issue number 7. And you can find more of her on the Power of Fishnets podcast, also by Ryan Daly, past guest of the show. His name keeps coming up. I don't know why. It's like a disease. Uh, but for more on Green Arrow during the Mike Girl era, check out the Warlord Worlds podcast hosted by our friends Darren and Ruth Sutherland. And finally, Martian Manhunter number four was on the shelves by J.M.D. Mateus and Mark Badger. This is the final issue in the re-exploration of the Martian Manhunter's origin. And for more on that, you can always check out the Martian Manhunter blog or podcast. It's the Idlehead of Diablo by our friend Diablo Frank, who also passed guest of this show. You are really pimping people tonight. Well, these are friends of mine. I, You know, in doing this podcast and all the other podcasts over the years, uh, we've really had a chance to connect and make friends and do crossovers and a lot of these people I just r- rattled off I've actually met hung out with I've even spooned with one of those guys and I'm not kidding um, I know more information than you needed but I could probably find it with a Google <laughs> Have, have you read any of these books? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Captain Adam, obviously. Basically, I, my love of JLI was so, so deep that if the character showed up anywhere else in the DC universe, I was buying that book. Okay. And if, if you were in the series starring in it, like, you know, Captain Adam was, I was like, well, I'm now buying Captain Adam from issue one all the way to the end. Did the same thing with Mr. Miracle. Did the same thing with Dr. Fate, which that needs to be reprinted. I don't know why it hasn't. It's criminal. It absolutely is. And if they reprint yeah. it, they need to... Uh... Uh, once they get into like after Demetrius left, the run after that, and they should reprint well, the letters. Their lobes. Yeah, they should reprint those as well because I'm in the letters page. Just saying. Oh, nice. I'll have to look for you next time I'm reading those. They were desperate. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, hey, I got some stuff printed during that era too. I want a Baldy from Superman. Really? Yep. Yep. Awesome. I wanted to see what a Baldy Ward was, so I wrote a letter in and basically blatantly asked for one, and they sent it to me. Congratulations, sir. Well done. Thank you. Framed it, it. Still have it to this day. You're never going to get something if you don't ask. Exactly. Yep. Reading Who's Who, because, again, going back to Crisis on Infinite Earths being like, you know, a gateway, and then, you know, the way they, I guess, soft rebooted was would be what they'd call it now, right? Um, It um, depends on the character. Some got hard reboots, some got soft reboots. Right, yeah. But it's just like, it was like, you know, you know they didn't start just stop the whole universe and start everything over it just kind of they like kind of as they thought it through they were like okay and now it's time to you know here's superman's reintroduction after like a a year or so of superman stories post-crisis it was like a rolling reboot 
<laughs> right. And then, like, you know, a few months into that, they're like, oh, wait, here's Wonder Woman. Hey, no one's screwed up Hawkman yet. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, oh, no, I do love uh, Hawkworld. Don't get me wrong. But just, you oh, know, I you do too, all but, the headaches, obviously. Yeah, I know. That that story is so great. And it's like, all you had to do was say 10 years ago. Right. That's all you had. <laughs> so which of these but, books yeah, weren't you reading? The Batman books. Because, like I said, they if the JLI wasn't in it, and I could tell very quickly that the Batman editorial office did not like having Batman in JLI. So I voted for my dollars and said, if you don't like Batman being in JLI, I am not reading your Bat book, sir. Wow. So, yep. But I would read stuff like Who's Who because, again, what I was going to say about the Gateway stuff is they provide the Gateway of Crisis. They throw all these characters at you. Then they do a soft reboot and sort of, you know, you got all these new books starting up at number one. But then you have something like like Who's Who coming out at the same time as Crisis and continuing afterwards. Yep introducing you to each of these characters, you know, in a one or two page segment, which I just thought I was like, brilliant. I feel so welcome right now. And then, of course, they launch Who's Who, run that for 50 issues plus annuals and give me new origin stories for all these characters. So when they did the new 52, I remember when they started that up, I was like, where's your who's who? Wait, you, secret you, Origins? Mean, you mean Secret Origins? Okay, you said who's who for 50 issues. You meant Secret Origins for 50 issues. Okay. Did I say, oh, yeah, no, sorry, Secret Origins, 50 issues. Yep. Yeah, plus annuals. Uh, and a special, I believe. Yep. With a story by Neil Gaiman. You can hear more about that on the Secret Origins podcast by, believe it or not, Ryan Daly. Anyway, continue, please. Pimp it, man. That guy that is everywhere. I love it. You pimp it tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like I, it was just when they did the new 52 i was again not super happy but i remember they were, i was like okay well where's your where's your who's who stuff where's your secret origins and secret origins showed up like two or three years into the new 52 when they finally sat down and said oh we should probably tell origins for these new for the or new origins for the characters to kind of get the readers up to speed and i just was like seems like a little late in the game for that it was really pricey too i mean it was like yes, it was. super expensive uh, now they did now. I will. I will sort of. I don't mean to correct you, but I will say on the Who's Who thing, they did do one month where I don't know. I think maybe issue zeros. I don't know where they actually did a Who's Who page in the back of oh. every New Fifty Two comic for the lead character, which was like that's pretty cool. That was pretty exciting oh. to see. Yeah, they, they, I missed that then. Well, they weren't as fulfilling as the the classic Who's Who, but still, it was nice to see them. That was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, all the artists they got for the original Who's Who. Oh yeah. I mean. Okay, you can't get Dave Stevens to draw a full issue, but he'll draw Catwoman for you. He'll draw a dolphin, right? (laughs) It's funny how a young man might remember those two particular entries, but anyway. uh, Very odd, very odd. Um, But yeah, so I was reading all the other stuff. I don't think I was getting Green Arrow, because, and and it took me a while to get the Martian Manhunter, because the the town I lived in did not have a dedicated comic shop, and the bookstore had closed down by that point. So it was a 45 minute to an hour drive to get to some place where I could buy stuff that wasn't just on newsstands. Right. But if it was on newsstands and it had the JLI, I was reading it. Absolutely. Totally agree. And, you know, the, the trouble with the spinner rack concept was if you missed it in the spinner rack and you couldn't find a comic shop, the comic just didn't exist. It's like the comic never hit the planet Earth back then. So absolutely yes. created challenges for you. But thankfully, later on down the line, you came and even worked in a comic book store and you had access to everything. So perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Before we get too much further, we need to take a break. We need to take a podcast promo break. But when we come back, folks, we're going to talk about Justice League International number six. Attention, attention all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCAST. 
hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHcast analyzes, episode by episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHcast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! Ladies and gentlemen, meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, now playing on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. And we are back from break. And folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast promo. It is, in fact, one of the most powerful podcast promos in the history of podcast promos. It's so powerful, it blew out the internet in my neighborhood for hours. To tell you the truth, it's been 24 hours since Mike Harlow and I spoke last. So, we took a little break. But we're going to... Oh, Mike, wake up, wake up. Oh, wait. Oh, hey. I know you've been waiting a hey. long time to finally do this issue recap. The folks at home oh, only man. waited about a minute, but you and I have been waiting a long time. So, folks, if we repeat ourselves, please know it's just because the last time we talked about this was a day ago. Yes. All right, folks, if you want to follow on with our coverage, if, if for some bizarre reason you can't find your copy of Justice League number 16, I don't know, maybe you file it away with your James Bond comic books instead of Justice League and you just can't figure out where it is, you can go to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI, and there you'll find a gallery post where we'll post a lot of the images from this issue so you can sort of follow along in the ones that we feel like are the most relevant. All right. So, Justice League International number 16 from DC Comics, cover dated August 1988, cover price 75 cents, still three shiny quarters, cover by Kevin McGuire and Al Gordon. Mike, why don't you tell us a little about the cover? Oh, man, that that cover, it is McGuire does Bond. I mean, it was the first time I realized as just a reader how much he loved James Bond, but you can tell that cover, it just comes shining through. Oh, yeah. And if you notice that little, little hint, that little detail I think you just noticed it, actually, yesterday, right? Yep. You noticed that behind Bruce Wayne, who's doing his best Connery Moore, maybe Lazenby, I don't know. (laughs) 
but and and little Dalton. Uh, but behind that, the shadow being cast by the harsh light shining on him and the two femme fatales, one of which has to be Green Flame, aka Fire, very soon, and the other one, I don't know, is it supposed to be Ice? I I just I, I never know. Really, it's uh, the Queen Bee. Is it's a Queen? I've seen. It's I'm, absolutely I'm the Queen Bee. She's even wearing like the same kind of hat. She's pulling the knife out of that. Seriously, were you so distracted by her by her thigh high stockings you just didn't pay attention? Yeah, I'm. I, wait, you don't identify women by just their legs? I oh, just fifth. just me. I just me. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Behind the harsh light shining on them, the shadow that Bruce Wayne is casting is actually Batman's cowl. That's awesome. Yeah. All these years, yeah. I never noticed that till about an hour before we started recording yesterday. I, it's a just like what? So. <laughs> really cleverly done. Now, to reinforce that James Bond theme, it does say, you know, undercover with the Justice League International, but then it says his name is Wayne, Bruce Wayne. So Wayne. They're, yeah, they're, yes. not, they're not even trying to hide the James Bond connection. No, no. And I remember reading an interview with McGuire where he said one of his dreams was to actually direct a James Bond movie. Really? Well, that's cool. Yep. Now, I just noticed something else for the first time. Is the Queen Bee yep. stepping on his foot? Uh, I believe so. See, again, I never noticed that was the Queen Bee, but it could just be because either A, I am face blind, or maybe, maybe McGuire's just not as good with those facial expressions. Or maybe they are so incredibly sexy. I mean, these are some of the these are some of the sexiest drawings McGuire's done, folks. That you're yeah. just distracted. <laughs> it could be yeah. a two. Uh, yeah, I was when I saw this on my newsstand when I was a kid. I was so so thrilled. You know, a being a big James Bond fan. B the fact that McGuire was back on the book because he'd been gone for three issues. I know that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. Yeah. We'll tell you why don't we get into those credits. So, Ply and Breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Script by J.M.D. Mateus. Penciler, Kevin McGuire. Inker, Al Gordon. Letter, Bob LaPan. Colorist, Gene D'Angelo. And editor, Andy Helfer. Mike, why don't you take us through the first half of this issue? Alrighty. We are in the issue 16, which is titled, Baelia, My Baelia. Our stalwart creators firmly established the espionage tone of the story, which began on the cover, obviously, but with a terrifically moody splash page of Batman and Max Lord discussing the need for a trip to Baelia. Add a costume, but not buck naked, you pervert. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, in disguise to check out Ruman Haryavti, who's unveiling some sort of new secret weapon at an international gala to be attended by the press, politicians, and celebrities from all over the world. Batman chooses Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, and the Green Flame for the mission, mainly because, as Beetle points out, no one else was available. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, quote-unquote, disguises himself as Bruce Wayne, that notoriously decadent billionaire playboy from Gotham City, and the Green Flame poses as his latest arm candy du jour, Miss Bitsy O'Brien, who has a must, must have an accent that sounds like Harley Quinn. At least she does in my head now when I read this. I would agree. She and Bruce are met at the airport in when they get to reach Baelia by the brown-nosing Abdul Abdullah Abdul. <laughs> of the Baelian State Department and are whisked away in a limo equipped with all the usual amenities Bruce is accustomed to when he's visiting Baelia, such as air conditioning, a bar, TV, telephone, and Nautilus equipment, all right there in the limo. <laughs> so, yeah, crazy. Meanwhile, Booster and Beetle are still at the airport, disguised as Bruce's underlings. Booster is wearing an exotic costume and is calling himself Barjwaj, or Barjwaj, or Barji. I don't know. We can debate that forever. Beetle, meanwhile, is dressed like he just stepped out of Frank Capra's Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. In fact, he's even calling himself George Bailey after Jimmy Stewart's character. It's a great visual gag, highlights McGuire's usual deafness with character expressions and acting. I mean, I just love that whole sequence. b b b b uh, booster <laughs> 
so we leave that storyline, cut to outer space, where we find Manga Khan and his robot lackey Elrond discussing their encounter with the Earth paranormals. Jumping back to yesterday when we discussed paranormals versus uh, metahumans. Uh, anyway, known as the JLI and their capture of Mr. Miracle. Manga is called to the bridge and learns the JLI has followed them in a tiny spaceship. Instead of confronting them, though, he opts to jump to hyperspace or prepare for warp speed. And he gets those two terms confused. <laughs> Speaking of jumping, we do just that and find Martian Manhunter, Big Barda, and Rocket Red on the spaceship following Manga Khan and his crew. Greatest Green Lantern in the frickin' multiverse Nort is outside the ship, using his ring to power it. Martian Manhunter tells Nort to follow the ship so Barda can get her husband back, but just as they reach it, the cluster vanishes. Manhunter can't tell if it jumped to hyperspace or engaged in a warp drive, because it turns out he gets those confused, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Manhunter has to break it to an agonized, angry Barda, while a stoic Rocket Red stoically looks on, all stoic-like in the background, that their tiny ship can't follow them. It seems the JLI has lost the trail. Dun, 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 dun. I'll take the story from there. Meanwhile, right. back in Bialya, which I can't say properly either, Batman <laughs> and Green Flame, still in disguise, settle into their hotel room. While unpacking, Green Flame tries to put the moves on Batman, saying that he turns her on. Well, Batman assures <laughs> her that he's actually ugly as sin under this Bruce Wayne disguise. Later on, Bruce Wayne and Bitsy O'Brien go for some reconnaissance in the form of a night out on the town. Uh, while their teammates Beetle and Booster are gassed and knocked unconscious in the hotel room. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Sorry. Now, Batman and Green Flame take care of Colonel Harjavati's goons, and they realize their cover is blown. Thankfully, Batman has a plan, of course he has a plan, uh, for a new cover identity. <laughs> Meanwhile, for the very first time, the readers are introduced to the Queen Bee. We've been hearing about her for a while now, so we finally see her. She's smart, she's cunning, she's hungry for power, she's dangerous, and she's so sexy that Harjavati is drooling over her, almost literally. It even gets brought up in the comic. Turns out that she's been helping Harjavati behind the scenes, like helping him appropriate his new super weapon. So, later, it's finally time for this Bialya Gala to unveil the country's new super weapon and the place is crawling with the rich and famous including Robin Leach and I'm not kidding that is absolutely <laughs> serious he's right there on the page and to the surprise of everyone Maxwell Lord turns up to the gala well it's actually Batman in disguise as Maxwell Lord with green flame disguised as his date Harjavati schmoozes up to the fake Max while instructing his men to keep a close eye on him because he's tied to the JLI and from the balcony the party is being watched over by Jack-o'-lantern and Owl Woman former heroic members of the Global Guardians now turned evil working for the Queen Bee. And Harjavati takes center stage and introduces the spectators to his new superweapon, the former superhero from another world, Wanjina the Thunderer. This was the guy oh. from JLI number three, who was sort of like a Thor analog, but now stands before the audience horribly disfigured by his exposure to a nuclear reactor. While Harjavati prattles on, Wanjana follows the Queen Bee's orders and uses his corrosive touch to reach out and kill Ruman Harjavati in front of the entire assembly. And the Queen Bee declares herself the new Queen of Bialya. The next issue, all hell breaks loose. That yes, was a it does. shocking ending. Oh my gosh. I wow. mean, I was agog when that happened because I was like, they killed Ruman? They didn't just kill Ruman. <laughs> They've been building him up since issue three. I mean, you go, you just jump back to the annual number two that you guys just covered. Yeah. And, you know, it's ah, and the Joker saying, Ruman, my old buddy. And I was like, oh, my God, Ruman Hariati knows the Joker. Right. He's going to be a major player in the DC universe for years to come. Nope. Whoops. Not so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, that blew me away when I was little. 
crazy. That blows me away now. And I also realized, I didn't think about this. The reason I did not realize that that was Queen Bee on the cover, even all these years later, and having reread that issue several times, uh-huh. is I never remember that that issue, like, uh, halfway through, is when we finally actually meet the Queen Bee for the first time. Okay. All so, right. I've uh, knowing that we meet her, you know, like, like at that point, because, yeah, we were right. We've been hearing about her, hearing about her. We finally meet her. I always take that as her first appearance. I never think about the fact she's actually on the cover. I so, will accept uh, your flimsy excuse. That's fine. I just... I just thought, you know, they were doing, hey, it's Bruce's Bond. I mean, I just saw those as two Bond babes, one of them being Green Flame. Right. Um, they, they even say so, in the comic later on, they talk about uh, James Bond, you know, Beetle and Booster don't get to go to the do the, the, the do the fun stuff. And they're like, <laughs> this never happens to James Bond. And Beetle's like, Bond just left. <laughs> Talking about yep. Bruce Wayne being Bond. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for me, yeah, the biggest thing that stands out to me, even now reading this, actually more so now reading this, is that Batman, as Bruce Wayne, has visited by before and apparently pumped a significant amount of American dollars into its economy. That is crazy pants. Uh, Does he spend weekends in North Korea? I'm like, (laughs) I'm really curious. I'm like, Dude, you're funding this government, this corrupt government. Like, this money you're throwing around here is not going to the peasants, clearly. Because if it was, they're not sending Abdul, Abdul, Abdul to, like, you know, Brown knows you at the airport. Right. Clearly, the money's going into the economy of, you know, the treasury. (laughs) You know, until you mentioned that, I didn't even think about that. Like, I read it in the comic, it's there on the page, but I didn't really process the fact that Wayne has been pumping money into this, you know, horrible country, this dictatorship. (laughs) Oh, Bruce. It has to be a shocker to be like, oh, man, my weekend spending change just helped bring Wangina the Thunderer. Right. Right. Maybe this is one of those where, like, you know, Bruce Wayne left for a while and he came back and he found out how everyone was running his company. And and that's what he, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's your no prize there. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Because the only other thing is Bruce is so bored in Gotham City, he's like, I got to go create some more villains. You know, Two Face isn't doing it for me anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to go create some international villains. Then I'm going to form a new Justice League. I'm going to make them go international. You know, Dude, the, we've just cracked. We've just cracked the '80s. That does sound like a uh, like a Grant Morrison Bat God kind of plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the other thing was this was the issue, obviously, where, where I've, I've already mentioned this, where Kevin McGuire returned after an absence of three issues and an annual. Right. And I know you read these issues later on. You know, you got to read them. Boom, boom, boom. But four months after 12 months of Maguire, four months without, well, four issues without, that was painful at the time. Like, I enjoy those those issues of, of JLI, especially the annual. I really love the annual. Yep. The annual's but, great. But when I do a reread of the whole series, I kind of find myself powering through 13, 14, and 15, even though 13 is a Suicide Squad crossover and I adore the Suicide Squad. So I think 13 holds up, but 14 and yeah. 15, though, the Leiloha art just is, it's in the wrong book. It's just not the yeah. right place for it. Yeah, he's he's a good artist, but yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, because yeah, later on when they, when McGuire does leave for good, unfortunately, quite soon now. Yeah. But when he does, when they bring in Ty Templeton at first, I was like, I don't, I don't mind this guy. <laughs> I was ready to hate him. And I was like, I, 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 I no, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah. And then of course they bring in this guy, Adam Hughes, who, I mean, he's flash a, in the pan. Such a hack. Yeah. Flash in the pan. Maybe. 
I mean, he could have had a career if he wanted one. But <laughs> anyway, jumping back to issue 16, still for me, the standout is the out of nowhere death of Ruman Haryafti. Yeah. Or Harvat Harjavardi. What I, do you call him? I don't know. I, I, like say Har- I say Harjavadi, but those not all those letters are actually on the page. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you, you're, 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 yeah, you're, you're, but again, I assume you've traveled to Bailey at some point. I know you travel a lot. I do travel so. a lot. Yeah, that's true. I, I yeah. summer there. So. Yeah. See, yeah, I figure at some point, You've probably heard the legends of Ruman. You know, I'm sure the country still like holds him in high esteem. He's probably got like 50 um, kids running around or something. You know, right? Exactly. Well, right. Didn't, yes. didn't Deathstroke drop a nuclear bomb on on Bialya? Or was that no? It was Korak. Uh, Never mind. Yeah. And okay, just real fast. One of the things I love about the DC universe is their tendency to create countries like you know Bialya right. instead of having things set in an actual Middle Eastern country where right. it's like uh, let's not make things too sensitive. Give us a stand-in and tell any story you want. Well, it's no different yeah. than Metropolis and Gotham City. Exactly. And all that Gotham other City, yeah. Star City. Uh, yeah. I mean, Opal City. Oh, Opal City. Um, so good. Fawcett City. I mean, yeah, that's the thing I, I love about the DC Universe is their intellectual property geography. I don't know. Yeah, no, that works. <laughs> now, if you love the DC Universe, I got to tell you, the greatest thing to pick up is the Atlas of the DC Universe role-playing game supplement from Mayfair that came out in the 80s, written by Paul Kupperberg. It is an amazing resource where it actually has a map of the United States and shows you where all the cities are. It tells you their industry, like what their their sports teams are. It is amazing. Actually, me and my buddy Siskoid, we spent a whole episode of a podcast called Hero Points, which is all about the DC role playing game, talking about that that book and how amazing it is. And we interviewed Paul Kupperberg for it, so it's out there on the Hero Points podcast. But what were you going to say on another podcast? I mean, twenty four hours later, and you are still pimping hard. Pimping my own stuff now, buddy. I know, I know. Why aren't you out here in L.A.? You <laughs> pimp like you pimp like a professional. Well, thank you, sir. Actually, I'll be out there in two months. We'll be hanging out together. So uh, yes, we will. Woof. So yeah, but yeah, the death of Ruman. I mean, okay. holy change of stakes. Undercover Batman. <laughs> I mean, that is just, uh, I, yeah, I finished that issue. I was so blown away. I know for a fact because I was actually traveling that weekend to my grandmother's house. And this was one of the comics I bought for the trip because it was a four hour drive. I finished that issue. Even though I had other comics, I went right back and started rereading it from the, from the very front. Cause I was like, I got to read this again. It was just so amazing. Wow. Well, I can see and, why they did it from a writing perspective. I mean, Ruman is great, but he becomes a bit one note pretty quickly. And yes. Introducing the Queen Bee is a much different facet. It also allowed them to bring in the Global Guardians and the mental control, and they milked that thing. I mean, just so Europe milked it for months and months and months. So, I mean, they get a lot of traction out of that, that, that character right. and that storyline. Yeah, and this is in this issue, it's they've, they've got the moment where Ruman talks to Bruce and speaks perfect English, and you think, like, oh, somewhere along the line, he's learned perfect English. And it's like, no, nope, he just repeats the same thing over and over right. again. But yeah, you're right. Very, very one note. Yeah. <laughs> Quite literally. In order <laughs> to, yeah, right. In order to expand that, they really had to do something. So since mm-hmm. we're talking about Batman, I want to talk about the fact that back in Suicide Squad number 13, Batman quits the Justice League, right? Right, so, right. And now he's back with the team. He was really only gone for about two issues, mm-hmm. and nothing really was resolved. So, like, it's it's sort of bugging me. Like, you know, of course Batman should be there. He should be a member of the team. But why, from a creative perspective, why did they have him quit in the first place? Like, was there something going on behind the scenes? Like, you, I mean, you and I both know that the Batman office hated Batman being in the Justice League. Uh, right. It's too comical. <laughs> so maybe they were like, were they planning to surrender the character to the Batman office and just say, fine, you don't like it, take him back? And then after a couple of months, they said, yeah, never mind, we're not, we're going to keep him. Or uh, I don't know. I don't know what I, it is, but it, it doesn't 
sit right. Right. What you need to do, because I know that since you are you 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 know you are all over the internet, you need to track down Andy Helfer and you need to bring him in for a, to be a guest on one podcast. That would be amazing. And ask him all these questions because I because ah, yeah you know he's got the answer. Well, not necessarily. You got to think about these guys. To them, it was thirty years ago. It was a job, and yeah. I mean, they loved what they did. They were passionate about it, but it was a job. I mean, think about it. if someone were to corner you and I and say, "Hey, you." 25 years ago, you sold me a copy of Silver Surfer, and I got a beef about it because this, this, and this. We're going to go, really? I don't even remember who you are, dude. Uh, uh, that's you. I would be like, yes, I remember you, and you did not have enough change. I actually took a penny out of the take a penny, leave a penny, just so you could have that issue. So if you have a problem with it, that's your problem, not mine. By the way, you still owe us a penny. So is that you making up an amazing lie, or your memory is that good? That's me throwing it back in the dude's face and getting him out of mine. <laughs> So, like a true element. Because, okay. because I can't remember it, but, you know, if I say that, maybe he'll be like, oh, my God, maybe he does remember me. <laughs> because now well it's, the tables have turned. Hey, I totally bought it, dude. I was there with you. So, well done. Well done. Oh, good. Woo, thank you. All right. So, so speaking of Batman, now back in in-story perspective, not at real world. So, Batman chooses Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, and Green Flame to put on this undercover mission. Of, right? Undercover mission. Undercover. undercover mission. So, he chooses Booster Gold. The guy's <laughs> face has been over, like, plastered on everything. Like, one of the most merchandised, you know, superheroes on the planet. That's their guy to go undercover? Really? Uh, he was wearing a fake mustache. It's true. He was wearing a fake and it mustache. Was, and it was a black fake mustache. And we all know Booster's blonde. That's true. And he had the headdress on. So, okay, I'll give right? you that. You right? know. But still, got to question Batman's judgment there. So, all right. Uh, on page, I have lots of notes, so forgive me. On page three, oh, no Fire is, like, sort of draped across Beetle. Beetle's sitting in a chair, and Fire is, like, draped across him, like her hands over his shoulders in a romantic or at least familiar sort of way. And they show it from multiple panels. And I can't help but wondering, was, like, was Kevin McGuire trying to push something forward there that wasn't in the script? Like, they, they look like they're kind of becoming a couple. Am I am I on my own here, or is was that more just friendly? I think it was more just friendly like i i mean i had friends in high school college that would be very familiar with me lucky bastard i, I told them i knew you so, <laughs> so they're trying to using you to get to me okay <laughs> exactly sure. wow. yeah you can shovel the bull <laughs> <laughs> then i was just like i'm not letting this get any further right. <laughs> <laughs> well it, it jumped out at me but you're right i mean given her gregarious sort of nature that could be what's going on there yeah so. see i i, I take that as because you know we know mcguire was the was the king of making those characters act literally yes. just the emotions everything the, like the like you could almost see their thoughts without a thought balloon coming off of the page yeah absolutely true absolutely just the body language body language that's the word i'm thinking of but acting's okay. the word though i mean he 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 there's artists who display stuff in there but he made the characters act which was just great yes. yeah mm-hmm. i love booster getting air sick on the plane because uh, this, <laughs> this is becoming a recurring theme he got sick a few issues ago too or maybe it's been more than that but he got sick and was puking before too so i like this recurring thing of booster puking yep. i like that which makes you wonder did he was you know again in in the jurgens book was he like yakking between pants and we just never saw it. Oh, I seriously doubt it. I seriously <laughs> doubt that. Oof. A couple of quick nods. The George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, just pulling uh, out the curtain. Mike and I are recording this a few days before Christmas. I'm not sure when you guys are going to hear it. So, but It's a Wonderful Life is like one of my absolute favorite Christmas movies. Yes, yes. I own a beautifully black and white, not colorized version. I love to watch at Christmas. I cry mm. every time when they say Zuzu's pedals. You know, it's uh, I love that movie so much. So uh, that I get the happens. feeling you're an easy cry. Are you that's, an easy cry. I, that's probably pretty true. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Good to know. I'm going to exploit that when you're out here. Oh, perfect. That'll be great. All you got to do is talk about Sarah Jane Smith and the, the waterworks will go, buddy, when we're at the doctor. All right. Done. Now, there's always been a lot of Star Trek references throughout this JLI series. Obviously, Jamie Dimitri mm-hmm. loves Star Trek and sprinkles in there. Now he's sprinkling Star Wars references, you know, with the hyperspace and the light speed jokes. Uh, one of the robots is called S3E3. Clearly, that's R2D2, a reference to that. So it's nice to see that. That's how, that's nice. But, but the uh, robot design that McGuire chose, I always thought looked a very black hole. It does. It does look very black hole. Uh, I think the, probably one of the elephants in the room that we have to talk about is the sex appeal in this comic. You know, the cover, again, they're going for James Bond theme, but both Fire and the Queen Bee is incredibly sultry, you know, very sexy. There's a Wait, lot- that's Queen Bee on the cover? Yeah, I know. Shocker. Oh. Shocker. Oh, wow. There's a lot of it in this issue. I mean, Fire is extremely promiscuous. She comes on to Bruce, I and mean, she is just she's smashing, oh, yeah. smashing her yeah. chest up against him. She is all climbing all over him, and then later on, she tries to suggest they should get at it again. There's a lot of promiscuous <laughs> sexual hu- humor in here. I, and I because can't- Ice wasn't around to, like, you know... Temper her to, behavior? To, like, ex- literally temper the behavior, exactly. Well, but you get it with Queen <laughs> B, though, too. Because you know, Queen right? B even says, you know, they, there's a lot of sexiness with her legs they show in her, and then she says, you know, you're drooling, all this stuff. I, I personally, <laughs> I'm okay with it. But I could see why someone could be offended or say, you know, it's it's not right. But I would also say, as the series goes along, you know, Fire really her, her go-to move is sex appeal. But right. she does it from a place of power, really. I mean, a lot of times she's in control of the situation. I don't know. I guess we need to bring someone on here to talk about this. But it just seems to me that the the writers' hearts are in the right place, and they're trying to have fun with it, not trying to be demeaning. I don't. No. And if you look at it, actually, they're kind of reversing roles. Instead of like the men hitting on the women and the women having to push them away, the women are like. Going, you know what? I'm confident in my sexuality, and I'm going to hit on Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Bruce is a is a slab of meat to these women. Yeah, it's actually kind of actually actually very uh, very forward in a way. Interesting take on it. Okay, I'll yeah. take that. All right. All right. Uh, speaking of Bruce Wayne, there's there's just one panel I love in this issue, page 14, where just one. Well, okay, I'm sorry. There's a lot of panels in this issue, <laughs> but there's one that jumps out at me is, is page 14 when Bruce Wayne and Bitsy O'Brien are getting ready to go out for a night on the town, and it's it's the bottom middle panel. Bruce is throwing on his jacket, and it's just it shows that McGuire has such a command of real life fluid movement. I don't remember ever seeing a panel like that in any other comic where a guy's pulling on his jacket, but that's exactly what it looks like when you pull on a jacket. I mean, yes, it, it yes. really does. So mm-hmm. it's just amazing artistry. You can feel the motion happening there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he but, continues on. You know, later on when there's the fight, he he chooses to do it in all black, where you know it, they they turn off the lights. There's a fight. All you see are a couple pow bam whiff sort of things, and then they mm-hmm. turn the lights back on. And the bad guys are defeated. That's much more engaging to me than watching a fight, you know, take up two pages of the comic. I'd much rather see it like this. So again, very clever. So glad to have Kevin McGuire back. And, you know, and also obviously Keith Giffen has an amazing command of her breakdowns as well. Yeah. But it's just really, really well done. I love that kind so of So you thing. love it when an artist doesn't draw anything. Hey, that John Byrne <laughs> issue in the snow? I was about to say, the jo- I was going to say, it's probably your favorite issue ever. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I interviewed Dan Jurgens one time, mm. and we were talking, well, I interviewed him several times, but one of the times I interviewed him, uh, we were did a lightning round of questions and I said uh, did he get paid for drawing the cover of Zero Hour Number Zero uh, <laughs> so, same kind of thing Jurgens actually just as a big quick sidebar just a real master especially with cover design uh-huh. where he could draw an image on a, on, a, on a cover not have a background not and when they would color it they would leave the background white usually okay. and those images always just pop to me when oh. they, whenever I read his stuff interesting okay yeah. you know McGuire uh, does a lot of that with his covers and I, and I know this because when each episode I design a special little logo for each episode where I take the cover and I take a segment from the cover and make it the, the image for this episode. Mm-hmm. 
he almost every single Maguire cover, with a few exceptions, have been a pretty much a solid background, you know, with no right. real fine detail, and it's to make the yeah. front covers pop, which is interesting because he, he's he's very happy to draw detail normally, but on the covers he doesn't, and I think it's uh, it's smartly played. Yes, yes, indeed. They yeah, they left off the stands, so oh yeah, into my hands. <laughs> you bought all <laughs> of them. So all right, in this issue, Boodle, Bo- Boodle and Bo- Beaster. Ah, uh, Boodle, Boodle and Beaster. Beaster. I love those guys. Uh, they get gas. Wait, wait, you're not on the right earth. Get to this earth where right. they're from Beetle. <laughs> they get gassed by the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. So put a pin in that, folks. I'm going to ask you to remember that. For oof, like 10 months, I'm going to ask you to remember that. <laughs> because they get gassed in this issue, which isn't a big deal. Next issue, they're in a jail cell and it's funny and all this stuff. But it is really, really significant down the line. And for those of you who remember the issues down the line, I, I just punched you in the gut a little bit there. Uh, so, yes, yeah. yes, you did. Oof. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be listening intently when you discuss those issues because there's something that happens in that issue in those particular that particular run of issues that links Beetle and Maxwell Lord so much. Huh? Uh, considering where they go years down the line with those two characters. I don't know what you're talking about. They they never did anything after uh, 2004. They those characters never met again. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I'm thinking about something that happened on another Earth. That's never exactly mind. right. Exactly. Withdraw. Right. Sort of like Superman four. There was no Superman four. They stopped at three. What are you talking about? Actually, they stopped at two. Oh, come on. That dude had really nice fingernails. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) more, more compliments, more compliments from McGuire here. Page, uh, 18 at the bottom here. There's this great two panel split where one panel, it's Harjavati and his little henchman. And on the left hand side, they're all smiles. In the right hand side, it's almost the exact same panel, except they're angry and sullen and being like, and it shows shows his command of uh, it's a great example of his facial feature control it's just beautiful mm-hmm. really really impressive yeah let's see uh okay jack o lantern and owl woman show up right very clever usage of the guardians of Ga- uh, the guardians of the galaxy sorry the global guardians uh given their international Bite your status tongue. i know oh, i know <laughs> i am groomed <laughs> It's a great use of the international status, and especially with the contrast with Green Flame and Ice Maiden, because they were members of the, the uh, Global Guardians. Smart move. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the last time we saw Jack-O-Lantern was six months ago in a backup story that let, was building to this. So readers I, had to wait six months to get that payoff. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> that is true. And even then, even when I was reading them, I still was like, because I hadn't read the the issues that they had come from, like the Super Friends stuff and the Global Guardian. And I was like, I was like, I'm still not quite clear on who these people are supposed to be. Okay. All right. So yeah, even though I like seeing them, I was always like going, is there more to these characters that I just don't know? And then years later, I find out that the reason they were using those characters is because basically no one else was. Right. They were available. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So I wonder which came first, the idea to use the Global Guardians or the idea uh, as bad guys or to use Fire and Ice as members of the team. I wonder what they thought of first. Hmm. That's a good question. You know, one day you should go and get Andy Helfer. <laughs> Did you know his Queen Bee on the cover? So... <laughs> Wait, what? So, Hang on. <laughs> uh, so, so, so as a reader, I'll be darned. So I'll as a reader, off. when you got to this issue, did you remember this, this, the, the backup stories from six months prior with Jack-O-Lantern or had that been faded to your memory? Oh, no, no. I remembered because again, multiple rereadings of issues was not 
a one-time occurrence with okay. me, gotcha. especially with JLI. That that book was becoming part of my DNA because I was reading it so so much. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All okay. right. So you know those the, that four weeks wait for the next issue. Just go back to issue one and just read everything up to that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, interestingly enough, I, I was looking at this about the you know the I've been reading obviously rereading these, but then I recently started reading some of the Captain Adam comics and in Captain Adam annual. And this is for you folks at home who didn't read Captain Adam. You want to seek this one out. Captain Adam annual number two. Now it's uh, it's a little bit in the future where we are right now. It's about four months after this issue. However, it really focuses on Bialya, the Queen Bee, and Captain Adam and how Bialya got turned around into a real country. And uh, it's sort of a fascinating read from that perspective and how it connects to this JLI stuff. So it's definitely worth checking out Captain Adam annual number two. Yes. And for the time, it was one of those moments where I, because I was reading those as they were coming out, uh, even Captain Adam, because like I said, anything connected to JLI, I was reading. Yep. And it gave me a sense of the DC universe being a real place. There you go. Because they'd set it up here in JLI, then you've come to another series, and it's like, oh, this happened, and here, we're going to build on it here. And it was that moment where you're like, oh, okay, so writers and artists and like the editors, they don't have a fiefdom. They don't, you know, it's like when everything in the DC universe is organic and it's all building exponentially. Just amazing. Yep. Beautiful the way that all the post-crisis universe, just a thing of beauty. So yeah. a couple last things, just on this, this, the gala, the last couple of things, there's a funny bit where Bruce, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Maxwell Lord, which is Batman, he, <laughs> he blows off Harjavati and says, oh, look, it's Jim Neighbors. What a weird <laughs> reference. I mean, I, I, I know Gomer Pyle had like, you know, a resurgence in syndication in the 80s, but that was more like the early 80s. So I don't know where that was coming out of left field. And it, it's a reoccurring gag that shows up next issue, too. So right. it, th- that was the fun of those books, though, was the guys were pulling pop culture references and throwing them in there. Like you had Twilight Zone references every yep. now and then. I mean, just ah. I guess the biggest connection for Jim Neighbors would be Shazam. Was, just, yep. 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 If they'd done well. it in the first issue. Yep. So <laughs> then. All right. So Wanjana, Wanjina, however you want to say his name. I don't know. There's all kinds of crude ways to say his name. Seriously gross to look at. I mean, just yes. yuck. It's disturbing. Yeah. Very disturbing. Really is. I mean, McGuire pulled out Still all the Still disturbing stops. as an adult. I know. Like, <laughs> like the way he's, he gets like a trunk for a leg or a foot, you know, foot sort of ugh, in the veins and it. Ugh, really gross. Yep. Yeah, consider when this is published, we're still like you know, like the the, the world is still in the midst of a cold war. Right, I know. So, yeah, it was nuclear fears right there on the page. And the corrosive you know. touch melting, uh, you know, Harjavati's face, totally gross. There's yep. A, there's a great line though where someone yells, "Gross, gross, gross!" And another guy goes, "But very Cronenberg," which is yes. like, yes, yeah, obviously it references scanners, but like what? <laughs> Where is that coming from? <laughs> that was hysterical. It was I, 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 that was almost a nomination for the Bahaha Award for me, but it just there wasn't enough of a build up to it. But it was just like so out of left field. I found it funny, especially being out here doing what I do. I love that reference. <laughs> So, and at that time, I was just starting to like really figure out who David Cronenberg was. Okay. So, well, so I was like, oh, oh, they're mentioning here. He must be much more of a big deal than I just thought wandering into my local video store. Yes. Yeah, so for so. me as a kid, it was just all the kids <laughs> want to watch Skinners to watch the head explode. It's like, God, the guy yeah. from V is in this, and the head explodes. <laughs> I said, now he lives forever as a meme. Oh, probably. Yeah. Well, it was or a gif or whatever you want to call it. Well, it was a great issue with a huge shock ending. I absolutely love this one. Now we're not done talking about it yet. We got to get into the house ads because there are a 
few that are worth mentioning in here. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just going to rattle through these, Mike. Please feel free to comment if you got any connection to it. But uh, okay. first ad is V for Vendetta. So this is, of course, the Alan Moore, David Lloyd trade paperback, you know, or miniseries, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, fascist Britain, 1997. Everyone knows you can't beat the system. Everyone but V, V for Vendetta. And it's the, yeah, that's the moment they're finishing it. Oh, is it really? Okay. Because yeah. uh, it was V was in uh, Warrior Magazine in yep. the UK. Right. And it was interrupted. And I guess Eclipse had had success taking Marvel Man and doing Miracle Man. And so when DC was signing the Watchmen contracts with more, they were like, hey, how about V? We'll finish that off for you, too. Hey, they got a movie out of it. So there we go. Yeah, they did. They did. And that story is beautiful. And I reread it every few years and always find something new. Well, it's a great and image. That, you're, you're looking up on, at V, who's on top of a building, running with the, you know the mask on and everything, obviously. Speaking of Deep Shadows stuff, I mean, even though they're not fighting in full shadows here, David Lloyd, Master of Shadows. I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> I mean... All right. Yeah. Anyway. Next ad is, an, is a combo ad. Obviously, someone just kind of threw it together fairly quickly, but it's for the 1988 annuals. So you get uh, Superman Annual number 12 by Stern, Friends, and uh, Breeding. You get Batman Annual number 12 by Mike Barron, Ross Andrew, and somebody's name I can't read. And Star Trek Annual number 3 by Peter David and looks like Kurt Swan and somebody else. It's a little hard to read on these folks, sorry. And they'll start with the Secret Origins Annual, number two. So any fond memories of these particular annuals here? The Superman Annual, the Star Trek Annual, just because at that point I was just starting to really discover Peter David. So uh, anything he was writing, I was reading. Okay. And I was like, oh, this guy really has an affinity for Star Trek. And that Secret Origins Annual. I mean, it was just, but, yeah. Which, now that I look at it, they kind of shortchange it. You get the Flash of Two Worlds is the theme of that Secret Origins Annual. Right. No cover image on this ad. I know. Well, maybe the cover wasn't ready yet. Or maybe if that, they... That, if going to do it, they wouldn't be able to fit all the other ones. I don't know. Right, right. That or, yeah, they were just like, you know what? It's Flash. It's Flash of Two Worlds. It sells itself. We don't even need the image. <laughs> just put the words. The next ad, and we're not going to talk a lot about this one, but it's a subscription ad, and it's a combo, so as you can subscribe to, wait for it, The New Guardians. Woo! <laughs> And hey, you, they had Snowflame. Oh, my gosh. And if you subscribe to New Guardians, folks, you're not going to believe what you get. You get a free full-color poster and issue number one signed by Steve Englehart and Joe Staten. Oh, my gosh. Wow. How great is that? Uh, not so much at all. So uh, I think what happened Aww, was... Oh, well, Steve Englehart and Joe Staten. Well, it says here that it's packaged. Uh, you can, If you subscribe now, you get issues one, two, and three <laughs> packaged together, which means issue three was on the stands by this point, which I think DC means DC realized, oops, this one's not selling. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And we got all these promo posters left over. Exactly. Because the, <laughs> the one right next to it, Animal Man, uh, you don't get anything for that one. You just get some you nope. get a discount. There's you no get poster. Animal Man. There's no, it's not signed by Graham Morrison, that's for sure. So Nope. But you, get that, you, get that, you get that Brian Bullen cover. Yeah, so let's talk about those ads. Because you oh. get the subscription ad, and then you get into the full-page ads for these comics. So Animal Man. It's a jungle out there, Brian Bullen cover. You know, what what you think, <sighs> buddy? At that point, because the town I grew up in did not, like I said, did not have a comic shop, didn't even have a bookstore at that point. So ha- having to get the issues, you'd have to drive an hour to get them. At first, I looked at that and I was like, that looks interesting. There's no way I'll ever get it. Oh. Uh, I was at a comic shop, bought issue number five. Oh, of all issues <laughs> to get, man, that's the one. Yeah. Yep. Finished that one and was like, I don't care who I have to kill. I am getting every issue of this series. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, love me. that book. 
for me, I was getting, I mentioned to you before that I was collecting Justice League Europe. Wasn't collecting Justice League America. I was collecting Justice League Europe because I was crazy. And I, you know, the, the Animal <laughs> Man character, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this guy out. So I picked up, uh, Animal Man number nine, which is the one where they install the teleporter in his house and Marsh Manhunter's there and it's kind of wacky. And <sighs> it's yeah. a great issue. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was in, I, I bought issue nine. And I was like, whoa, this is great. And then immediately bought all the back issues and I was in from there on. Uh, and I stuck with it all the way into, gosh, probably, <sighs> Right before the series got canceled, I was you know up into the seventies, you know, or whatever. I was reading that thing. It got you, you and you and me both. I was actually by that point had finished high school, had let's see, started college, and was now working with, at a comic shop just uh, across town from you. That's true. Same, well, the same um, same store, but just different. Exactly, different same store, just different yeah. different location. But was still reading Animal Man, and oh, actually, yeah, I think it was. I dropped it about three or four months into the point where it became a uh, Vertigo title, finally. Oh, well, that, that was er, that's earlier on, then. That's like around Is really issues in the 30s or 40s, I would think. So. No, 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 sir. No, sir. Oh, <laughs> that's, gosh. Uh, we're that's, do- yeah. oh, you, right, we're having a nerd Orson's fight. only on until 26, and then you get you get the Tom Veach years. We're having, uh, we're having the a Steve nerd Dillon's fight. artwork. Because we're going, we're going well past 50 by the time it becomes uh, a Vertigo book, I think. Well, if we're going to talk about it, we have to say, Animal Man! Yes. Yeah. And, oh, the other reason I did pick up Animal Man was because it was the second series by Grant Morrison I ever saw. Oh, okay. Like I noticed because I noticed that I, I I already knew who Brian Bullen was because Camelot three thousand and some amazing covers that he's been doing. But when I saw the name Grant Morrison at first, I was like, I don't know who that is. Whatever. And then I placed an order with Mile High Comics okay. of all places. I was buying Doom Patrol off the stands, obviously, because uh, you know that was it was still a newsstand book right. at that point. And I loved that Steve Lytle run at the very beginning, the first five okay. issues. And I stuck around for the Eric Larson stuff. Poor soul. And I was like, this Larson, this Lord, this Lord, I actually thought it was pretty interesting. I thought the stories were horrible. I was like, Larson's art is there's something engaging and quirky about it. But it wasn't enough to make me. Really really want to stick around. So when they said, well, we're going to like end this run, Kupperberg's leaving. We've basically put all the toys back in the box and <laughs> next issue, it's a new format book and it's only going to be available in comic shops. So I was like, well, I'll never <laughs> see it again. But I placed an order with Mile High Comics and with Mile High, you had to list alternates oh, in case books you were asking for weren't available. And so one of the alternates, I was just like, Doom Patrol 18 had just come out. So I was like, <sighs> I'll ask for number 19, whatever. Um, and sure enough, whatever book I'd requested was not there. They sent me Doom Patrol number 19. And my jaw was on the floor by the time oh, I finished sure. that first the sure. first Morrison issue. I was just like, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, that's exactly what I want to read in a comic about the Doom Patrol. Like that was, I was like, this is the one I've been waiting well, for. Well, I, uh, I, as I so. said, I picked up Animal Man number nine and stuck with it and was loving that series. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at Cosmic Cat, somebody recommended to me to try Doom Patrol and... And I picked it up about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine months later. And sure enough, it was Grant uh-huh. Morrison. I'm like, oh, this is the guy writing my Animal Man comic. Okay. I bought, first issue was issue 26, <laughs> which was the Brotherhood of Dada, which. Mm-hmm. Oh, just a great story. And brings in the JLI. It changed my life a little bit. Like, I, I went through a whole phase in art class of, like, doing Dada type stuff. It was just, it really affected me. So, uh, going back to our previous discussion. Nice. Did you smoke clove cigarettes and have black uh, fingernails? Almost. Came real close. Going back nice. to our previous discussion. It, it it pains me. It really pains yes. me to say the words you were right. Oh my gosh. Uh, 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 say it one more time because it feels so were good. Right. I can't get I can't get it out. Oh, it still feels great. No, no, I can tell what you want to say, and it's just oh, it's like a warm uh, shower. 
Anyway, what? it it does appear <laughs> that it was Animal Man number fifty-seven, it was the first one with a Vertigo logo on the cover. I could have sworn it was in the thirties or the forties. Oh my gosh. Okay, so mm. it looks like I hung around till mm. about issue mm. seventy-two, seventy-three, and they ended on eighty-nine. But uh, dude, if if you haven't read it, you should check out the new fifty-two Animal Man series. That was really good. Okay, no, I did it not felt read very that Vertigo-esque. one. Um, it really did. It felt like a in, okay. in, in a good way, like. Vertigo for me, like I read every Vertigo title for years. We're so far off the reservation. Anyway, uh, I read every Vertigo title for years, but like I got burned out after a while. It's like okay, I can only read so many weird stories after a while. And it actually, I went to like right. a dark place, and I had to pull myself back. And all I started reading were bright, happy superhero comics. That's how I, that's how I found Roger Stern's Starman. Is I needed like a a, a breather. Anyway, mm. but reading the anim- reading the Animal Man from the New Fifty Two felt like the same excitement of reading like Vertigo stuff from the from the mid nineties. So it's really good. All right. Anyway, that's high praise. All right. I'm so Animal. Man ad is gorgeous, anyway. Brian Ballin. It is a bit of a fake out when you open it up and you get Chaz Truog inside, though. I mean, that's a, that's a, that takes a while to get used to. But he, he... it did. But you know what? Ultimately, by the time we got to the end of his run, uh, or the end of the, the Morrison Truog stuff, I was like, I like this. I like Chaz's artwork, and I was just thrilled when he stuck around after yeah, Morrison. It was uh, he was pretty good. So, pretty yeah, because yeah, he only sticks around for six more issues and does what was it, the I can't remember Peter the name Miller. of the writer. Yeah, he did. Thank Shoot, you. Yeah. Man. He was doing the Animal Man. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the oh, green yeah. cigarette. I mean, just that storyline pissed me off. I, I, oh, see, I loved it. I was I was pissed because he left after well, six issues. In hindsight, issues. I loved it. Once I found out it was like an alternate world or whatever timeline had changed, but like when they tore Buddy and Ellen mm. apart, I was like furious. Right. Like, how could they do this? You know, Grant Morrison built all this up. They're a great couple. Ah, you know, and then finding out that it's that was the point of the story. It's like, oh, okay, he's writing a story. I get it now. <laughs> anyway, the other ad is the New Guardians. More than men, less than gods. The New Guardians chosen to. Save Save mankind from itself. Yeah. This, <laughs> Someone buy this right, book, this please. Is a complete miss, folks. Uh, I've talked about it extensively on the Who's Who podcast and other places, but oof, just yeah, not not a good, not a good. So. But you get Snowflame. Keep saying that. I don't even know what that means. So you you don't know who no. Snowflame is, sir? Google Snowflame. I think he shows up in issue okay. three. He is a supervillain powered by cocaine. Oh, I am not even holy lying. Crap. <laughs> It's like the Money Month cartoons by Bakshi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. He is a he is a cocaine powered villain. It is the funniest thing. I was like, oh, we are in the eighties here. That is crazy. Okay. Well, our last ad is even weirder. It's a black and white ad on the inside cover. It's for Tail Gunner Joe. I thought it was Tail Gunner Ten for years, but I believe it's Tail Gunner Joe. <laughs> it is Tail Gunner yeah. Joe. And it's uh, Peter B. Gillis, Tom Artis, and Ty Templeton. Now I like Tom Artis and I like Ty Templeton. I've actually tried to read an issue of this comic and couldn't make head or tail of it. So, I, have, uh, did you ever read I it? I never read it. I saw it on the stands. I still see it in dollar bins to this day. I actually think I ran across it earlier today. Also ran across JLI number 16 in the dollar oh, bin today. Oh, that hurts. Yes. That hurts. <laughs> I, I, oh, are you kidding? That It's going to find a good home. Well, that's it's, true. It's fine. That's true. Our, our, our buddy at the network, uh, Professor Alan Middleton, he does a great podcast called the Quarterbin Podcast, where he buys comics for twenty five cents and then reviews them. And I'm pretty sure he did a Tailgater Joe issue. Uh, so, oh, yep. okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've never, I've never read it. Uh, the only thing I can actually recall ever reading by Peter B. Gillis was, I believe, he was writing Micronauts, <gasps> the new adventures, the new adventures. Okay, yeah, or the new journeys or whatever what it was. was. The, yeah, there was something. The new voyages. It was to be exact. New voyages. That's it. Yes. Thank you. Because yeah, the only reason I was picking up that book was I was like, this Kelly Jones guy is interesting. <laughs> so. I love me some Micronauts. You know, they just announced the movie date for Micronauts movie. Oh. Like, I'm not making that up. 
who's who's do you know who's making it? Because I've completely missed I that. Don't, I don't know the details. I'm on out it. here. I'm out here in the heart of it. You should know this. And stuff. I have missed that. I know. I know. I feel. I think. I think. You know what the, the problem is? I spent a... the last week preparing for this uh, podcast that this buddy of mine is doing. Oh, okay. So. Well, I think the name attached yeah. to it was a, a Michael Harlow or something like that. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, oh. Oh. I've got to call some my agent. Hang right. on. <laughs> All right. So, so that's going to cover the house ads. But next, we're going to get into something I like to call. Character Spotlight. This is where I make the guests do some of the heavy lifting. Finally, thank you. And uh, where uh, Mike is going to spend some time talking about one of the characters that from the JLI, either the book or some of the characters appearing. It's not really intended to be an origin recap necessarily, but more about where the characters were in the DC Universe just before joining the JLI, what kind of impact the JLI may have had on their career and such. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about Big Barda? All right. I guess I'll pull your rear end out of the fire yet again with this podcast. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. What I chose to do was just focus on where the character was at right before JLI. All and right. it turned out Big Barda's previous appearance before JLI was Action Comics number 592 and 593. Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Cover dated September and October of 1987, respectively. Superman investigates suicide slum, which, you know, that had to kill housing prices there. Right. It's just, I mean, it's like, I was like, call this place Suicide Slum? It sticks? Everyone's cool with it? All right. Put it on the billboards? Uh, really? On the street signs? Wow. Right. I was like, I was like so you just, you just don't want to gentrify this area is what you're basically <laughs> telling everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is Death Alley. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> crime Alley, same kind of crime thing. Alley's taken. Yeah, Crime Alley's taken. And we got to do it better. We're Metropolis. Right, right. Uh, anyway, so Suicide Slum. The, is Superman's investigating it in search of, and I'm not lying, good radiation. <laughs> Uh, that is, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, <laughs> apparently there was some good radiation that was keeping some of Metropolis's poor, you know, more destitute citizens alive. Like, okay. even if they were in the hospital, like, like he, he goes to a hospital and he's like, sees this entire ward of formerly homeless people, you know, who had been living rough on the streets, but in some cases they're well over a hundred years old. Wow. Yeah. And he's, and Superman, of course, just checks out everything with his, you know, the, those, those amazing eyes of his. And he's like, there's some good radiation in them. Uh, <laughs> so he goes to Suicide Slum, where they were living, encounters Sleaze, a monster exiled from Apocalypse, so many years earlier that Jack Kirby never even thought to mention him. <laughs> And let's focus on that for a second. Exiled from an apocalypse. What do you got to do right? to get exiled from apocalypse? You have to be a super duper pervert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, A, the dude's name is Sleaze. B, even Darkseid was like, you're too nasty for apocalypse. So what you're saying is I have <laughs> like, a chance. Yeah, I'm saying you might be Sleaze. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can wear that. <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, John Byrne is like you now like you know, he was, was like, well, Jack forgot to mention him, so I'm gonna attach him to the mythos. Okay. Which I have to say, that quick uh, quick sidebar, I loved when that John Byrne was using so much of the fourth world in his Superman stuff and introducing those elements into the post crisis universe. Yes. Uh, and that people like Giffen and Demetrius pick them pick up those characters and like, all right, now they're in the JLI. Right. Uh, they they really took an idea that blossomed in the 70s and really didn't get enough traction. I, and to, right. Honestly. It was Probably, actually, it was probably the Superpowers cartoon that really paid it its first true respect, and then, uh, and then obviously it's you know it's a mainstay of the DC universe now. I mean, Darkseid is the big bad of the DC universe, right? Yeah, yeah. I was talking with a friend of mine about that the other night, and clearly I, I don't mean you because you're not my friend. Bingo. Um, but yeah, but I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said, think about it. DC was around for how many decades before arguably their big, big, big bad shows up? 
before that it was Lex Luthor. Right. Yeah. It, like characters had a villain. Like like certain like you know you had Lex Luthor. He's Superman's villain. You have Joker. He's Batman's villain. Darkseid shows up. Darkseid's going after anybody. Right. I mean I mean the Suicide Squad fights him. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, see that's what yeah like like yeah the burn brings in these these fourth world elements and then everyone else starts picking up on it and it just becomes this like thread that runs through the post crisis universe. Anyway, so I've digressed. Barda, uh, Sleaze has just captured Barda and is using mind control, a burn trope, uh, to make her star in pornographic videos. What? Uh, I, you got Barda. What are you going to do? It's either let's go rob some banks with your Barda strength or porn. And when your name <laughs> Sleaze, it's porn. Okay. You're just, fair you, enough. It's the default. I, I didn't really have a problem with it. I was just acting outraged for the sh- for the show. So it's fine. Right, right. I, yeah, I know. I know. You, you keep your man card. Right. So Sleaze has captured Barda. You're using her mind. Mind control, making a star in pornographic videos, which I have to say, even as a you know as a teenage boy reading this, I was like, this doesn't seem quite right for the DC universe characters, but okay. So Sleaze takes over Superman's mind uh, and tries to rope him into the John Holmes role of these pornographic videos. Uh, <laughs> at home, can Google John Holmes? Uh, Not that I knew who you were talking but that, about. <laughs> but that big Kansas farm boy, at least that's the rumor I've personally never seen him with his pants off. Oh my um, gosh. He reads. Uh, he resists the the mind control and only ever makes out with Barda. Aw. Such a good Sweet. soul. I mean, you know, I mean, Lois picked a good egg. She knew what she was doing. <laughs> Although I am betting he got to first base with Barda. I don't care what they say. But I'm not, a t- I'm, I, I am not one of those people who will say that, that they went the whole way because that is definitely not what that story shows. I've heard the rumors where people say, oh, they, you know, Superman and Big Barda, they, you know, there's, there's a sex video out there. It's like, nope, that is not what the story shows at all. Okay. So all you ever see is Superman making out with Barda, like, and, and resisting the entire time. Not a bad gig of you. Exactly. I know. I'm, I'm sure that was like token resistance. Like, you know, oh, no, no, I don't. This beautiful woman. But not. No, please. Right. Lois won't even give me the time of day yet because we're not engaged. So um, just saying, right. no. And, and this woman has, you know, has roughly the same genetics and makeup that I do. She could actually put up with super sex. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you went there. <laughs> I'm saying they didn't show it in the book, but you do have to stop and go, well, this would actually work. That's true. It probably would. Yeah. That's, uh, there's a reason just a few months later, he's dating Wonder Woman for a couple issues or trying to date her, I guess, really. Uh, anyway. Oh, so Mr. Miracle shows up. We're obviously now into issue 593. He shows up, helps Barda and Superman break free of Sleaze's mind control. Sleaze seems to die in an explosion. Then Superman tries to discuss with Barda what they just did and how far they almost got right in front of Mr. Miracle. That's awful. I know. It just shows to me Superman will emasculate anyone without a second thought. Super dickery right there, buddy. Yeah, I, I, mean, he was, I was like, dude, Mr. Miracle is he's hes in the panels with you, man. You should have word balloons going. I'm standing right here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, ah, it's like, dude, that is Mr. Miracle's wife. You almost boned. Mr. Miracle's right there. Superman wonders why he can't keep friends. Right. Around. But, you know, to its credit, I will say that entire scene is the start of a porno in and of itself. Oh, snap! It, I mean, you know, it's like, it's it's the cuckold video. It's like, oh. well, that's the that's the conversation you have, and then okay, something okay. horrible. Okay, I got you. Let's just move on. 
<laughs> oh, and also, okay, surprise, surprise, Sleaze isn't dead and what? will return in an approximately three years' time to tangle with the last son of Krypton once again in Adventures of Superman 475, but uh, that's probably a story for another podcast, if you want to pimp one. Wait a minute. Uh, probably from Crisis to Crisis, the Superman podcast with Michael Bailey, but... Uh, oh, really an idea. A supervillain? He'll probably get there. He's probably already been there. Oh, yeah, he long, yeah they're on the death of Clark Kent. Oh. So, a supervillain came back from the dead? That never happens. That's crazy. Yeah, I tell you. But again, it's one of those things that I was also loving about the DC Universe at that time, to tie this back into JLI, to, t- to also continue with Superman, is the fact that... Things would happen in the books that seemed like, you know, because Sleaze, I mean, really, he seems like a, like, a, like, you know, he's good for one story, really. And the fact that they brought him back, I was like, you know, they're, they're not letting anything go. They're, or they're letting things kind of develop and they'll find a new, you know, a new way to use the characters. You know, like you're saying with issue 16, where Booster and Beetle are captured, yep. you know, and imprisoned, but that turns out to be incredibly important later on. Yep. It's like just those little things are happening and they're just, and DC doesn't let anything go during this era they build on things quite well there were great architects going on here at this time yeah yeah there was no sense of loose ends yeah so all right well thank you for that recap on big barter that was awesome and a lot of fun and took us into sort of a interesting direction i wasn't expecting so (laughs) sorry about that you know cut as you cut as you see no it's perfectly fine now as we wrap that up it is time folks you've all been waiting you've wanted to know you beg me every month what is the funniest (laughs) moment of the issue so folks we're about to award Wahaha Award. That's right. We are going to nominate the funniest moment of this issue. Both myself and Mike are going to pick one moment, and only one of them is going to walk out with a coveted Wahaha Award. All right, Mike, what you got? <laughs> We've already mentioned it, but it is the Wahaha Award for for me for this issue. Is page fourteen, panel nine, Booster and Beetle? Because again two of my favorites and their little exchange where Booster says, you know, Batman's just left and left Booster and Beetle behind in the hotel room. And Booster says, this never happens to James Bond. And Beetle replies, James Bond just left. What we're looking at here is pure Abbott and Costello. (laughs) And the thing, the reason I'm nominating this is it's funny, but it also reveals character. It reveals how these two characters view themselves. Of course, Booster sees himself as Bond. And Beetle is much more grounded and it's like, we're not Bond, dude. So, that is fitting, and just, in the comparison of them to Evan Costello, continues on for quite a while. And uh, yes, it does. So yeah, that's a pretty good one. All right, well done, sir. Thanks, sir. For me, it was on page four. Is when they're flying in the airplane, and Booster gets sick, and it's it's, it's only across two panels. But Booster uh, goes, "Pass me another airbag, Beetle." Beetle says, "I think you depleted <laughs> the supply, Booster. How about a sock?" And then Batman comes <laughs> in and he goes, "You two, quit clowning around." You know, Beetle says, "Whatever you say, Bats, but I don't want him throwing up on my shoes again." And stop calling me Bats, Beetle. Remember, we're undercover. But you just called me Beetle. I'm going to call you Dead Man in a minute. Now split up. So it, it's funny. It's got some good bits in there. They play off on the nicknames versus real names and the code names. I enjoy that quite a bit. With all that, but all, it also reveals character. You're not seeing any of those characters in the scene, and even though they're saying names, you can read that exchange of dialogue. I would say, and still know who's talking. That's a good point. Yeah, because it's all you're just seeing the plane itself. You're not actually. You're right. You're not right. seeing the characters. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. All right. Well, with all that said, God, this is the second time I've had to say this in one day, and its I think I'm getting a migraine coming on. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I actually like your wahaha moment better. Oh, I don't know that I've ever oh, said that I, on a podcast. I didn't quite hear that. What did you uh, say? Just hit I... rewind. There's a little button on your, pl- on your oh. podcast player that says go back 10 seconds. I'm not doing it again. Oh, that hurts. But okay, I'll take it. I'll take it because I mean, honestly, it, to me, it's because you chose a Booster and Beetle moment as well and threw some Batman in there. It, 
it's hard for me to say which one of those is funnier right. because I laugh at both. And uh, but I'll take it if you're saying I got it, I got it. I'm 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 not going to argue with you. It's your show. All right. I, I'm in I'm in your house. We'll do it do it your way. <laughs> I win. It can, well, not you. No. Beetle and Booster <laughs> win. Thank you very much, sir. Congratulations to Beetle and Booster. Enjoy your Bwahaha Award. Wear it with pride. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, this is a little weird. Remember I mentioned to you, you know, folks, we, we took a 24-hour break, uh, un- un- unscheduled. And in the meantime, I actually got an email from a guy named Kevin Feige. He says his ears were burning, I guess, because we were talking about it a little too much. Um, but he had this weird – it's a message for you, Mike. It says – I don't know. Maybe it's in L.A. speak, but it says, Mike, rehab now. It's your turn. I, I don't really get what that means. What's the Oh, point? oh yeah. yeah. Uh, L.A., you know, uh, because it's L.A., we all go to rehab here. Oh. It's, yeah. Yeah. When you when you arrive in the state, you take a number. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not going for anything dark. Uh, I'm going because I'm addicted to four-color books. Oh, so. fair enough. Okay. Well, uh, I hope you get the help that you need. If someone will help me get some more four-color books, I'm sure I will. <laughs> I think that's the opposite of rehab. But anyway, folks, oh. while Mike is getting that sorted out, we are going to read your listener feedback in a segment called Justice Log. Alright folks, and we've got feedback from two different episodes to talk about this time, from issues number 15 and from annual number 2. But first, a little bit of news. On recent episodes and on social media, we've debated how to spell Nort properly. We found multiple instances in Justice League where he has an apostrophe in his name and other times where he doesn't. So, we went to the authority, Mr. J.M. DiMatteis, and he comes back to say, let's just say Nort is so dense he forgets how to spell his own name. (laughs) And then trying to recall why Nort may be spelled both ways, he says, well, my guess is, is that when we hatched him, it was Nort without an apostrophe, but shortly thereafter he changed it to Nort with an apostrophe. There you go, folks. Officially, both spellings are equally acceptable in the eyes of J.M.D. Mateus, so therefore, that puts an end to that blood sport, everybody. Everybody can be friends now. All right. Also, uh, in news, we've seen some people have been posting online pictures of this new Pop Funko set, you know, the little pop figures you can buy in stores. There is a collected set which features both Booster and Blue Beetle together. It's a blue and gold box set. you got to find it in the stores, folks. It looks so freaking cute. If you buy it, be sure to post some pictures on social media of yourself with it. Also, there's an interesting thing on YouTube you can check out if you like. It, it's, it's a show called Comic Artists Pro Secrets. Big long name there. The actual channel, though, is one word, Comic Artist Pro, and then the second word is Secrets. It's done by Ethan Van Skyver. And what he did was, in this particular one, he sat down and did a basically a commentary track on Justice League number 18 with Keith Giffen and Kevin McGuire. They went through the comic page by page and talked about it, sort of like a commentary track. And again, you can find that on YouTube. Pretty cool. Also, since we chatted last, Newsarama published a really nice article called The Oral History of the 1987 Justice League. It was published back in November. Lots of great creators were interviewed for that. Definitely want to check that out. Again, Newsarama in November, Oral History of the 1987 Justice League. Last time we did feedback, you may recall that the Justice League International Omnibus had just come out, and people were starting to post pictures of themselves with their omnibus on social media. Well, I got a few more folks that have done that and tagged me. Well done to the following folks. Keith T. Garner, Russell Sellers, James Roberts, Mark 
Mark Holmes, Joe Tonello, Tim Price, Franco Brofman, and some guy named Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. I don't know who that is. And uh, also, by the way, in, in all those Twitter shirts, I just have to say, random observation, Jake Perry, you have the single coolest JLI collection I've ever seen. My hat's off to you, sir. I'm not wearing a hat, but if I had a hat, it'd be, it'd be hats off to you. So, All right, folks, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, please take to the social medias, get out there, talk about the show, use our hashtag, which is pound FW podcast. You can tag us on Twitter. It's JLI podcast on Facebook. It's just League international Bahaha podcast. As I said earlier, it's all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. And remember, if you're outside the United States, let me know. We'll assign you the appropriate embassy, which is good to know because if you're international, we have to filter iTunes properly to see your reviews. Speaking of iTunes, let's do some iTunes reviews. We've got a couple more. Thank you so much, everybody. And for those of you who haven't submitted an iTunes review yet, please consider it. It really, really helps to raise the profile of the show and helps new people find us. And there are a lot of new people who have been finding the show and it helps build this community of friends. So, all right. First up is from Mark Baker Wright from Black Rocks Toy Box. He says, when superheroes are people too. <laughs> this podcast highlights a time when the preeminent super team of the DC Universe wasn't just about saving the world every week, but also did a deep dive into the interpersonal relationships, trials, and conflicts within the team itself, and did so with a sense of humor and a wink to the audience, reminding us all not to take things too seriously. Shag is a perfect host for such a podcast, infusing the proceedings with humor derived from the interplay between himself and whatever co-host he manages to trick into joining him that moment. Month. If you like your superhero comedy with a side of mild banter, this is the podcast for you. Thank you very much, Mark. I sincerely appreciate that. Then we got a review from Gore Tolton from the Canadian Embassy. He calls it a pity review. And he writes, I'm grudgingly writing this review for the Baha Ha podcast. I could write about how nostalgic this cast makes me and how it matches the hilarity of the series itself about the great guest hosts that are brought in to share their particular expertise. But no, I'm forced to tell you how Shag, the Dick Van Dyke of podcasting, runs a great and well-produced Sunday podcast, mostly because he will not stop whining about having no reviews. Mind you, if you ever check the Canadian Embassy now and then... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Gord. And just to be clear, folks, I, we do have lots of reviews. It's just more reviews always help, and it helps raise the profile of the show. So thank you again to everyone who submitted an iTunes review. And for those of you who have not yet submitted an iTunes review, well, I never liked you anyway. All right, let's get on to some of our comments. Now, I'm going to be sort of uh, cherry-picking these things from our website and emails and social media, pulling bits and pieces together, because if I tried to attempt to read every single comment you guys wrote in, in its entirety, we would be here all night, because you guys are amazing and have left some fantastic comments. All right, first was an email I got from Jennifer Schwartz-Levine. She says, I recently discovered the Bwahaha podcast. This podcast has been superb. I'm on episode seven and cannot wait to get to the big Barta episodes. She's one of my favorites. In fact, I write about superheroes and gender and recently gave a paper entitled, How Big of a Bee Was Barta? Feminism as a Foil in the Giffen Dimatteis Justice League. Um, she delivered that at the Midwest Pop Culture Association Conference. She says she's especially looking forward to when we get to the JLE issues. I love Power Girl and her diet soda obsession. And on the gender and superheroes theme, I did a paper at the Ray Brown Pop Culture Conference at BGSU called Bwahaha the Diet Soda Retcon, the 99% calorie-free solution to sexism in Justice League Europe. <laughs> uh, she goes on to say, thanks so much for an amazing podcast both in conception and execution. It's a ton of fun, and I love the various perspectives of the guest hosts as well as the good-natured banter. It's so much in the spirit of Dimatteis and Giffen's work on the JLI, and it's like I've gotten to take a transporter to that era. So in honor of Power Girl, I'll lift a diet root beer in your direction. Looking forward to many episodes to come. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate that. And folks, let me tell you, Jennifer, actually, she works at a college as a dean and an associate professor. She's an official smart person in everything, so that's fantastic. Thank you, Jennifer. 
Also heard from James Simpson, another new listener. He says, I just discovered your podcast, and I must say, I've really enjoyed it. This is my favorite comic series ever, and at age 36, I have read more than a few comics. Keep up the excellent work, and in the last week, I binged your review of issues 1 through 8 and the first annual. I hope to completely catch up this week. Whoa! James, I hope you've had a chance to catch up since then. Then we heard from Paul Dickey, another new listener. He says, just received my JLI omnibus in the mail. Prior to getting this hefty volume, I had gone in search of a JLI podcast and discovered yours. I've been listening to the first few episodes and enjoy it very much. I noticed you have a slightly similar format to the Fantastic Cast, which is his favorite comic book podcast, with some added features like the best wahaha moment. I find the podcast to be extremely professional, entertaining, and overall top-notch. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I uh, Compared to the Fantastic Cast, wow, Stephen Lacey and Andrew Leyland do an exceptional job, so I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. And then Paul wrote back in to say, OMG, I'm all caught up. What will I do now? I can't go on without more JLI stat. Please help me with this growing addiction. Paul, there you go. Another new listener, Mark Holmes, wrote in to say, I just started listening to your podcast and enjoying it, and it's very fun, reminiscing when the series was originally released. Batman and Guy Gardner are hilarious. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. Now, to get on to some comments that are specific to Justice League International number 15, the coverage we did with Mr. J. Jones, heard from Jose Rivera. He says, while the art in this issue wasn't my cup of tea, I still pump my fist when Barta suits up. While people love JLI, and rightfully so, I feel like people don't give Dematteis' run on Mr. Miracle enough love. While the current Mr. Miracle series is getting some indie cred for dealing with issues like suicide, I feel like the Mr. Miracle series from the 1990s managed to get Scott without having to add social issues. You know, Jose, you make a great point. That Mr. Miracle series by uh, Dematteis was really great. I love that comic. I don't know how we're going to fit into the schedule, but at some point I do want to try and address that comic in this podcast. And folks, if you're not reading the current Mr. Miracle comic, whoa. I I picked it up on a whim. I, I don't buy a lot of new current comics, but I picked it up. And man, that thing blew me away. Really good comic. Exceptional. I, I recommend you guys give it a try. Very different from JLI. Very, very different. But uh, still, a great read. Then we heard from Paul Hicks at our Australian embassy. He also is part of the Waiting for Doom podcast. He writes, fun episode. I love hearing Jay's cheery voice. Despite the art quality dip, this issue is chock full of widescreen goofy stuff. Awesome, Paul. You make a fair point. There, the, there was a lot of huge space action, which was a lot of fun in that comic. Then heard from MTC. I'm pretty sure that's what it said in his birth certificate. Anyway, he goes, I was wondering if the definitive look for Nort for you, you were talking about a previous episode, might be from Joe Staten. That is my favorite Nort artist. Hmm. You know, it's, I don't think Joe Staten's Nort is my Nort. I'm, I'm still haven't figured it out yet. I will know when I see it. Let's put it that way. Then I heard from my buddy Chuck Coletta, and he wrote in to say, My big JLI omnibus has arrived. Now I can catch up on all your previous episodes. Thanks in advance. Well, Chuck, you are welcome. Then we heard from my buddy Rob Kelly from the Firewater Podcast Network, including the upcoming MASHcast, and Rob just happens to be my hetero life mate. Rob wrote in to say, I like Lealoha and Gordon as an art team, but not on JLI. The cartooniness really looks out of place, especially on characters like Batman. That one panel of him chasing the crook borders on Mad Magazine style. Again, love the art, I just don't think it's a good fit. You know, Rob, I couldn't agree with you more, and especially that last panel did look extremely goofy. They heard from my buddy Jimmy McGlinchey at the Irish Embassy. Jimmy writes in to say, Irish Embassy calling. I had tried to post earlier, but unfortunately, I realized I could not make a post because of my space suit I was wearing. The weird thing is, was I wasn't even in space. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy is fantastic. He always goes along with my ridiculous gags. And uh, we talked a lot about Captain Adam and his spacesuit during issue 15's coverage. So thank you for playing along. And regarding issue 15, he says, JLI 15 brought fire and ice quickly into the team. It was good to see how competent they were in this story, although it was to the detriment of the blue and gold, who did not look great in action by comparison. When Nort does more to help the team to defeat Manga Khan than two of the main team, it doesn't paint Ted and Booster in a good light. Don't get me wrong, I love the humor of blue and gold, but from about this point, they veered pretty 
probably too much into slapstick and being buffoons rather than competent heroes. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you there, but it will be interesting to watch that uh, friendship evolve and see if they do get a chance to really shine as heroes. He goes on to say, interesting discussion about Captain Adam. From about JLI number 8 to 22, he was pretty much sidelined. It was just either a bit of a hothead or a bit of a quipster. If you were to look at him solely through his activities in the JLI title, you would never have chosen him to lead the superhero forces in Invasion. I think his character was better developed when moved to Justice League Europe. Totally agree, Jimmy. Then we heard from my frenemy, Ryan Daly, from the Firewater Podcast Network, including the adorable Read Along with Reese series he's been doing. He says, quick note on the spelling of Bernie Wrightson's name. When he first started working professionally, he signed his name Bernie, B-E-R-N-I, without the E. Because believe it or not, there was another famous person named Bernie Wrightson. That's how the artist signed his work in the 60s through the 70s and 80s. At some point in the 1990s, he added the E and went by Bernie, spelled fully with the E, Wrightson from then on. At the time of Batman the Cult, he was still going by Bernie, B-E-R-N-I. So the house ad wasn't messed up. Wow. Look at the knowledge bomb there. Uh, Mike Harlow followed it up. I, I don't know who Mike Harlow is. He's, I, he's a vagrant or something. But anyway, he followed it up uh, pointing out that this other famous Bernie Wrightson was actually an Olympic gold medalist diver. Crazy. Then we're from our buddy Martin Gray at the Scottish Embassy, also from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. He wrote in to say, I don't think for a second that the script called the spaceships mundane or whatever is a pot shot at Steve Leloha's art. James DiMatteis has far too much class for that. They'll have been drawn as mundane because the script asked for it, probably as commentary on space armadas in general. <laughs> Martin, as usual, you're probably right, and you bring a little bit of class to the show. Thank you. Uh, then we heard from Adam Ackerman, who goes by Centaurin at our Denmark Embassy. He says, I'm guessing if Manga Khan had talked to a Ferengi, his favorite rules of acquisition would be 34, which is war is good for business, and 125, you can't make a deal if you're dead. <laughs> Thank you, Centaurin. They heard from my buddy Tim Price. Now, Tim and I have a special relationship. Uh, that special relationship being, he writes in these giant dissertations, and I read them to my daughter when she can't go to sleep at night. So, uh, he wrote in to say, I'm not sure why, but I felt the art worked better in this issue than issue 14. Still not great, but this issue has a lot more action with lots of motion. Maybe that suits Lealoha's style even better than the previous issue's dialogue-driven nature, but being the setup for the big battle, <laughs> with a trademark symbol, it certainly sold me on Taurus power level and B's scrapping skills. All right. Tim then goes on to say, I also love Barta's depiction in this book and have to give kudos to letter Bob Lappin for doing his part in selling the dialogue. You lost him? Grrr. Now we're going. Check out the word balloon choices. So effective. I honestly can't recall seeing a double-lined word balloon before this issue. Doubtflow is the first time in comics, but it's such a cool way to express Barta's mood. Oi, the spacesuits. The team used spacesuits in issue number seven, and I do find it funny for our heroes to be stuck in these awkward things, but I really don't get why John Jones needs one. Then it hit me. The only reason is communication. Sound needs air to travel, even with a headset, so the suit provides that. And John has to use uh, speaking because his telepathy is not in full Professor X mode yet, where he can just have full-blown conversations using telepathy throughout the whole team. His ability to transmit seems much more limited in this era. And one final thought. In hindsight, it's amazing how much Lord Manga Khan, the Cluster, and especially Elrond appear in JLI. They could have been his one-time adversaries, never to be seen again. But instead, they became a fairly important part of this era. Boy, they, they really did. I mean, you know, from these sort of humble beginnings, you never would have guessed they would have became as big as they would eventually be. Uh, this was followed up with a comment from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, including a podcast dedicated to Martian Manhunter. So addressing Tim's speculation about Martian Manhunter needing a spacesuit, Frank says, Throughout his history, John Jones' powers and limitations have been consistently defined as because this story says so. I have to admit, though, despite the assertions made on this podcast, that generally speaking, the Manhunter from Mars cannot survive long in the vacuum of space. Otherwise, why? Why would he remain stranded on Earth for decades? Hmm. Make a fair point, Frank. 
Then heard from Mark Baker Wright again. He says, fun episode, as always, enhanced by the fact that I can now read the issues beforehand with my JLI omnibus. I was surprised that neither of you mentioned what, to me, is a significant detractor, in that the covers suggest a situation that isn't remotely in the story itself, specifically that Maga Khan will suggest bargaining the Earth for the lives of the JLI. Don't think it completely negates how cool the cover is, but it's the kind of thing I usually hear commented on. That's a fair point. We didn't even put that together, that the cover didn't get happen in the issue. <laughs> now, that's pretty common in comics, but yeah, we should have been on top of that. Then heard from uh, someone just goes by the name Walter. He says, I'm loving this. I'm a huge JLI fan and I really appreciate what you're doing. I didn't like it that much as a kid because I was eight years old and was expecting something like the classic Justice League. Couldn't understand where was Superman and the other characters, but eventually became my favorite version of the League ever. That's awesome, Walter. Then I heard from my buddy Bradley Nolley, because this is where I stopped buying Justice League regularly. It wasn't the book's fault. I went through a couple of, quote, no superheroes in my comics, end quote, faces and stuff like that, or what would become Vertigo started eating up my comic book money. I got over that silly phase a few times. <laughs> and then he writes back in later. He goes, OMG, I found my old reading journal. And this was my uh, my very first pretentious, quote, I'm better than superheroes, end quote, phase. I'm looking this over and it seems that A, the Justice League books were the last superhero book on my left on my pull list. And B, I took comics way too seriously in my early 20s. <laughs> well, Bradley, I think a lot of us took comics a little too seriously in our youth. And now I'm happy to say I'm in my uh, find my joy phase where I just enjoy the comics I read. All right, now moving on to comments specific to our coverage of JLI Annual Number 2 with Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Heard from Adam Ackerman, Centaurin again. He goes, I would, uh, we're talking about Fire's shirt. Uh, you may recall we had a debate about what that lightning bolt symbol was. He goes, I would go with Teth Adam, which is Black Adam, for the shirt. Black Adam's design is black with a yellow lightning bolt, whereas Kevin and Mage is a black shirt with white lightning. Adam also posted a picture of his new Fire and Water podcast t-shirt, which you can pick up on our website, by the way, uh, along with a Doctor Who action figure of a Centauran, of course, with a spherical spaceship. Nice. Then heard from my buddy Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network, including the new upcoming JLU cast based on the cartoons. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Chris writes in, this was a fun issue, and Jared is right. The Joker was at a crossroads here. And Shag, you were also right that the Joker's been a homicidal maniac again since the 1970s. But I'd point towards Batman number 251, The Joker's Five-Way Revenge, by O'Neill and Adams, as the true beginning of the Joker's return to his darker roots. I tend to like my Joker mercurial like this. It's certainly the approach the Batman animated series guy took with the character. The perma-scary Joker, who isn't always funny, is just a thug in my opinion. I have no use for him. I'm looking at you, Mr. Leatherface Joker. Chris goes on to say, I didn't care much for the Joker in drag, and I don't subscribe to Frank Miller's notion that the Joker is gay and is in love with Batman in his own twisted way. I think William must be playing off of that here. I tend to think of the Joker as asexual, which makes Harley Quinn even more tragic if you think about it. If memory serves, I actually did get both this and the killing joke at my LCS on the same day. Much like Ryan and I have been discussing on Batman Nightcast podcast, plug, the Batman universe was practically a multiverse in and of itself at this point, with various iterations of the characters coexisting at the same time. No way that this Batman and Joker were the same one seen in Killing Joke. Now, speaking specifically to the thought about Joker, uh, you know, dressing in drag and potentially being gay, according to Frank Miller and stuff like that, I see those as two completely different issues. You know, if Joker wants to dress in drag, that doesn't necessarily say anything about his sexual orientation. It's just something that he, you know, enjoys doing. And I, I don't know, it kind of works for me with the Joker. He, he, you know, he's sort of an open spirit, you know? I don't know. I kind of liked it. 
All right, then we heard from my buddy Jose Rivera again. He goes, so here we are, an episode I've been waiting for since the podcast began, and you guys did not disappoint. I love the simplicity of the cover, but I love Willingham's Joker's art throughout the issue even more. When I think of the Joker in the 1980s, this is the look and style that often comes to mind. And thank you for the shout-out with my favorite moment of the issue, and one of my favorite moments in the entire run with Batman saying, No, not today. I'm really not in the mood for this. And then he keeps driving. Every time I read that, I crack up. Then we heard from my little buddy, David Ace Gutierrez, who's the executive producer on the Pod Dylan podcast, and uh, back to the issue with Fire Shirt. He says, Comico published both Willingham's Elemental series and Matt Wagner's Mage, hence the Mage shirt. Ah, there we go. I will take that as fact, then I was right. <laughs> Then my buddy Tim Price sent in his next dissertation. He says, Such a huge contrast between the first and second annuals. Number one, recapturing the classic JLI adventure feel, but number two was all JLI humor, and I'm so glad it is. When it comes to the cheesecake and suggestive humor in the art, I believe there was a lot of Willingham there. In the You'll Know It When You See It panel, I always thought Scott was looking past Barta at his mortal foe, the backyard grill. But yes, he is completely facing her keister. But to see how far Bill has gone with mature stuff, just look to his comic Ironwood. And he goes on to say, This is not safe for work, folks. Seriously, not even kidding a little. Not safe for work or children either. Then Tim goes on to say he loves comparing John's disguise to Peter Boyle. And he says, going forward, he's going to call that identity John Boyle. (laughs) Uh, And he says, but why does John have a pipe in his first appearance in this issue? With smoke coming out, meaning it was a lit flame? Then later, asks the cabbie to douse the cigarette because of its flame? Really? Usually I have a theory about this, but uh, I'm blaming Willingham here. I think the pipe was a detail he added on his own, not remembering John's weakness. So actually, Helfer should have caught that. Damn it, Andy. I also think I got this book and Killing Joke at the same time. My comics were coming mail order from Dave's Comics, since this was college and no LCS was around. At the time, I distinctly remember thinking, if Batman had grabbed Joker instead of driving off, Babs wouldn't have been shot. Jeez, way too real for a funny book, let me tell you. Then heard from my buddy Martin Gray again, he goes, I disagree that this period is when the Joker got scary. It's when he got overexposed and broken. I ran making an ambassador, Batman not ending his threat forever after the deaths of Sarah, maiming Babs and killing off the commissioner, and also didn't he do something to some snotty-nosed kid? <laughs> he should have been retired for several years after this, but apparently the more murderous the baddie, the cooler he is. Kids. Uh, you're not wrong, Martin. You're not wrong. Heard from MTC again. He goes, speaking of the Joker, I think he spares Ramon at the end of this exchange for being granted the diplomatic immunity he has in death in the family. If we want to strain ourselves putting these two stories in the same continuity. Hmm. Good thought. That's uh, that's actually a good way to thread that together. And then he goes on. He did some research about uh, Ice's shirt. We talked a lot about Fire's shirt, but Ice also had an unusual shirt that said something like pink something. He did some research on that, trying to find out what that shirt might have said or what the message meant, but he couldn't figure it out either. Heard from our buddy Michelle Fife, who's the writer and artist of the amazing comic Copra. He goes on to say, One of my earliest off-the-spinner-rack purchases. I loved it. And it didn't really bother me much that we didn't get any costumes here. The Batman page more than made up for it. Good point, Michelle. You know, we we did say last issue that there was, uh, or during the annual, there was no costumes. But yeah, right there, obviously Batman was in costume. But the funny part is, I don't even think of Batman as the costume. I think of Bruce Wayne as the costume. Then we heard from our buddy Ward Hill Terry, uh, or Terrence O'Malley. He says, I agree with Martin. The Joker was and remains overexposed and overused. I have a lot of problems with the characterization of him in this story. First, the humor of murder. My sense of humor has changed over the decades. For instance, I don't find the rape jokes in Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles as funny as I once did. It's the same as how the Joker dispatches his assistant in this story. It's not funny. It's brutal. The Joker seems to be just an excuse to get to the gag at the end. The Joker worked for someone else? The Joker using conventional firearms? The Joker hiring personnel and cars and walkie-talkies, etc.? 
the Joker perusing high-end fashion magazines and stealing hot couture and to look good as he walks around in the daytime? It just seems off to me. The Joker must know where the embassy is. Joker gas in the ventilation system. Joker jams radio and TV frequencies. He's trying to lure Batman. That's what he does. Heard from Jimmy McGlinchey again. He says, Irish Embassy calling in honor of the guest reviewer, Jared Albright, the yard sale artist. The JLI have dug out a number of items for Jared to do his art on. Dimitri has donated the Rocket's Red 7 armor. Booster has put up the ace robot he defeated. Guy has a toilet from the Russian Embassy? A fine example of Soviet plumbing, apparently. Beetle has the whisper drive from the tank he tried to repo. And Nort has a fire hydrant? Best get that cleaned vigorously before painting on it, Jared. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy goes on to say, There are, of course, a few big coincidences to help this story along. Like, how does a leader of a Middle Eastern country manage to slip away to search in the ruins of a building in the middle of New York City? Ruman must not really make it high in the radar of the U.S. intelligence agencies in the DCU. Small aside, why is there a small puppet popping out from behind the rocks on the second-to-last panel on page 25? All right, folks, bust out your comic. Go back and look for that. Page 25, second-to-last panel. There's a small puppet popping out. Uh, Jimmy says, I remember this panel being shown somewhere, maybe it was in the UK reprints of the JLI, and the editor commenting on the same, but I don't remember that there was an answer or not. Maybe Willingham liked puppets. Hmm, wow. Anyone got any theories? Then heard from Paul Keehan, he says, great episode. Love the conversation about the evolution of the Joker. Then heard from Mike Zubo. You may recall Jared and I talked about how Jared had been taking pictures of himself reading the comic and sending them to me, one of which was on the toilet. And Mike says, wait, reading something on the toilet is a sign of dedication? Well, I must be really dedicated. I do almost all my reading there. <laughs> then we heard from my buddy Keechi Baker. He says, Jared sure did add some class to the joint. Nice job, fellas. Then we got a comment that says, that is by far the sexiest voice of any guest host you've had. It's not even close. Jared Albrook is a total turn-on. Wait a minute, who wrote this comment? Oh, someone named Johanna Albrook. Hmm, methinks Jared logged into his wife's account to make that comment. Now, a little while back, I spent some time reading some of the role-playing modules from Mayfair Games for the DC Heroes RPG, specifically the JLI modules. I read When a Stranger Calls, Exposed, and Come On Down. I posted a couple of pictures of those on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and folks really, really jumped in there and liked it and let, shared a lot of great comments. A couple of just ones to mention. Our buddy Rob Williams says, I bought the JLI modules. I had zero idea how to play the game, but it was JLI. <laughs> Then our buddy Sean Ross wrote to comment, When a Stranger Calls, now remember that was one of the module names, he goes, When a Stranger Calls, the Oreos are coming from inside the house. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Sean. Then my buddy Mike LaCroix from the Canadian Military History Podcast uh, posted a couple images. In, uh, he was reading the Justice League, the Ultimate Guide reference book, and there's a, a page or two in there that references the JLI. Glad to know that they're still remembered. Then uh, Joe Tonello reminded me of a great, great web comic called JL8, like the number eight. It is this adorable little comic. Uh, it's about these. Uh, it's about the Justice League in grade school together. It's so sweet. But he he pointed me towards a couple of uh, strips that were specifically related to the JLI. There's a great one with Martian Manhunter eating Oreos, things like that. Lots of fun. If you haven't checked out JL8, oh my gosh, it's so adorable. Since we talked last, I went to the Tallahassee Comic Con and of course got to see Jared Albrecht there, but also saw two of our listeners, Nathan Archer and Jason Markinet there. That was awesome to see them. Now, I want to take a second to award two 
double stuff awards. Uh, I don't know that I've ever awarded two in the same episodes. This is kind of a big deal, folks. First one goes out to Joe Tanello. And if you may recall, Joe is our resident Ted Cord Blue Beetle cosplayer. And Joe uh, went to his comic shop, which is Rick's Comic Shop in Nashville, Tennessee. He went on Justice League Day in his full Blue Beetle costume, hung out, took lots of pictures of him reading like Blue Beetle comics, took pictures with his stack, and lots and lots of fun Justice League stuff. So hats off to you, Joe. Way to represent. And then the second Double Stuff Award goes to Paul Kean, who sent us in a picture. He had baked some cookies, you know, Christmas cookies for Santa, and he decorated them specifically as Justice League International characters. Oh my gosh. It was Booster, Beetle, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Guy Gardner, and Martian Manhunter, and Captain Adam. They looked so delicious and so adorable. Way to go, Paul. So, great job, Joe. Great job, Paul. You have won the Double Stuff Award. Uh, Eat some Oreos. You deserve it. Now, it's time for us to thank all the folks who shared the show on their social media timeline. This is, again, Facebook and Twitter. It, I know I say it every month, but it's a long list of names. But you got to know, folks, these people took their time to support the show and promoted it. It's so important to me that we recognize these individuals. And our community continues to grow. This time out, we're looking at well over 80 names for folks who helped promote the show. So my thanks to Professor Alan Quarterbin, Between the Pages, Bill Beer, Bob, Real Tarks 9, Boosterific.com, Calum Nauer, Cash Flag, Chris Franklin, and the Supermates Podcast, Chris Lewis, Christopher J. Warden, Chuck Rodriguez, Codeman, Coffee and Comics, comic book covers from different countries, Cosmic Cat Comics, hey, that's the comic shop Mike Harlow and I used to work at, Craig 101, Curtis, Dan G, Daniel Butnick, Debster 70, Dr. Ange, Ed Moore, Anigo Mondoya, Fanholes Podcast, Frederico Hernandez, Geek Brain Popcast, Generation X-Wing, Aaron Head Moss, as well as his accounts under the Headcast Network, G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, and the Task Force X Podcast. H-O-C-O-F, Jack Dower, Jared West, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, Jason Mulligan, Jeff Polier, Jeffrey Brown, Jeremiah Parker, Justice's First Dawn, Kirk Goodall, Con L, Krypton Podcast, Kyle Benning, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, Mangabot, Mark Holmes, Martin Gray, Max Romero, and his It's Plastic Man account, Michael O'Brien, Mikey Flash, Paul Hicks, and Waiting for Doom, Punch Like a Girl, Rad Adventures Network, and Trekker Talk, Red World Toys, Rob Kelly and his accounts under Digest Cast, Film and Water Podcast, Pod Dylan, Superman Movie Minute, and Treasury Cast, Rod Pruitt, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly, SAC, Bat Pod John, Sean AZ, Silver and Gold Podcast, Siskoid, Slangword Resists, Steve Sellers, Super Comic Fun Time, I love that, Tarnished Pyrite, The 108th Sage, The Longbox Crusade, Tim Price, Tim Rooney, Van Z, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Yarbrough, and Zoom Yukonori. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI podcast, folks. Your feedback is such a critical part of this show, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely amazing. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I really am terribly sorry. It's probably the art sale artist's fault. Just drop me a note and let me know, and I'll be sure to include you on the next episode. So please keep those cards and letters coming. Now, the best way to do it is to go out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Find the entry for episode number 16, that's this one we're doing right now, and leave a comment on the show post. We'll read 
it in the next episode. Or you can hit us up on Facebook. It's uh, Justice League International Blah Ha Podcast. Or on Twitter, JLI Podcast. Or you can even email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Jay Jones for helping me cover issue number 15, and Jared Albrick for helping me cover JLI Annual number 2. And thanks to you, the listeners, for such a great collection of feedback from those episodes. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll see if Mike was able to get the help he so desperately needs. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. <sighs> okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. Enjoy movie scores. Do you like science fiction? like fantasy and do you like movies uh, uh everything's under control situation normal what happened uh had a slight weapons malfunction but uh everything's perfectly all right now we're fine we're all fine here now thank you how are you? Well, I have a podcast for you. Soundtrack Alley. It's a podcast where I take you on a journey through the time of my childhood and beyond to give you a glimpse into the world of movies, science fiction, fantasy, and other films that touch me on a personal level. You'll also enjoy interviews from film composers from famous movies from the past or even current times. Enjoy the interaction I have with guests on my show every so often, and check out other shows that share in guest spots. So sit back, relax, and let the soundtrack world wash over you, and check out Soundtrack Alley. You'll love it. Okay, folks, we are back from break, and let me see, Mike, is that is that UIC behind that giant stack of something? What is? <coughs> yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hey, buddy. Oh, I'm here. Oh, great. Oh, wow. Oh, sorry. Oh, I got a little post nasal drip. Yeah, um, sure, sure. And a stack of comics. Oh goodness. Uh, 
You're you're a rehab failure. Oh my god, you fell off the wagon in more ways than one. But oh, but. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been awesome hanging out with you again, getting a chance to talk comic books, to getting to talk about comic books that we love. This has been fantastic. I really, really uh, appreciate it. Yeah, Shagman. Hey, really, I I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I know we talked about it two years ago, and I've spent two years both anticipating and dreading it. Uh, <laughs> much like anything that you anticipate and dread in life, once you finally do it, it's great. It was so much fun. You're probably right to dread it as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think I wasted all that dread on nothing. Right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you besides panhandling on the street corners? Of <sighs> well, also turning tricks. I mean, I was, I was, no, no, sorry, just panhandling. Just panhandling. Let's see. With tricks, I mean magic. Right. You know? Right. Where else can you find me? I'm, I'm usually on Facebook. Like I'm in places like the Back Issue Magazine page. That's my jam. All right. 70s, 80s, 90s comics. So like I'm there hanging out all the time. Actually, this past year, I've been hanging out more on the Cobra Press Club page Whoa, on Facebook. Very uh, cool. Which I owe to you. Okay. Um, you and the uh, DC Universe in the 80s webpage both at the same time started talking about Michelle Fife, and I was like, who's this guy? Yeah. And then I find out I missed Cobra by about four years at that point. <laughs> Spent this entire year finding all the issues and reading it, just falling in love with what that guy's doing. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, he would love to yeah. hear that. That's awesome. Oh, good. He was a great guest on the show. I've actually uh, had a chance to meet him since then. Super nice guy. Lucky bastard. Uh, you know what? I met him. He's a lucky bastard for having <laughs> – uh, he, uh, he made it on my Christmas card this year, the same one you're on, by the way. So, I so. just got that tonight. Thank you so much. So you'll see Michelle in there holding up an issue of Capra. He's, he's always pimping these things on the Christmas card. Yes, he should. <laughs> Awesome. It's nice. I would like to think he learned to pimp from you. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. th I think the man's a bit of a pro all by himself. Let's let's not take anything uh, away from him. Okay, that. this is true. This is true. Uh, you guys can fight over who gets to pimp me while I'm on the street corner. That's How about that? so wrong. You know, with that, I think we're just going to wrap this thing up, folks. <laughs> Come back next month when the, with 100% less pimpage when we cover Justice League International number 17. It will have another guest host to help me cover the issue. Who will it be? Sorry, folks. You're just going to have to wonder for the next month. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Mike. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something of it? Christmas, you wonderful!